I'm like fluttery. I know. You know? It's like, I feel like I like I'm like, wow, this is this feels big. Yeah. Like when we started the show, it was like, oh, there's gonna be weeks where we talk about the really important old stuff, you know, and that we can really just like kind of dig into it. And this is one of those weeks. Um, and I'm so glad that me and you are here to talk about it. I'm so glad as well. We're gonna grab all of our good friends, especially Waka, and then we're gonna talk yeah. about some stuff. Yeah. Um, real quick, Waka. <laughs> is that okay for John DiMaggio to be doing that voice? Uh, because it didn't seem okay to me. At several points, I was like, is this voice all right for you to do John DiMaggio? <laughs> it's problematic. But, you know, what if Waka was raised in that society and that culture and just had that accent? Who knows? Yeah, it is. It's problematic, but it's a problematic thing that's across, uh, you know. The year 2001. Yeah. <laughs> it's a problematic thing <laughs> with the year 2001. Let's Welcome to the Old Gamers Almanac. I am your host, Hunter Donaldson. Uh, and filling in this week for Matt Martins, we have Hun Sanders. Hello. Hello. I am your co-host today. Yes. Uh, it's going to be lovely. I'm very excited. Um, so this, uh, we are on the edge of finishing our first season, 2001, A Game Odyssey. Um, we have two games to talk about left uh, today we're talking about Final Fantasy X. Next week we will be back with Eco, um, with Matt back in the co-host seat. But for now, me and me and uh, Son here get to uh, wax poetic about a Final Fantasy game we like? Question mark. Mm, let's just let's just get it out there. Um, let's just let's just yeah. open that plastic seal as if it's two thousand one, yeah. and we are opening up that that big yeah. obnoxious PlayStation Two box. Um, yeah. Did you like this game, Hunter? When the, when I first saw this game, I was like smitten with it mm -hmm. for a couple reasons. Reason number one, it had voice acting. Yes. Okay. I was like, wow. Huge. It has voice acting. That seems huge. Yeah. Now, like, now my uncle doesn't just do like the silly voices when we play together. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, it's like somebody, like a real actor is doing the voices. I don't have to imagine it. Uh, number two, characters looked way better. Yeah. Uh, the camera is now interacting in the scene. Dynamic, you know, it's not just like a movie. Yeah, dynamic camera stuff. It's wild. It's cinematic. Yes. You know? Big stakes, huge stakes. And then there's just the characters in the world. I liked the the theme of it. I, th I thought it had like a very interesting vibe. You know, we had done some cyberpunk stuff with Final Fantasy VII, a little bit of Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, Final Fantasy IX, we'd gone back to classic fantasy stuff, and then this was kind of neither yeah. of those, you know? It had its own vibe, uh, a, a very aquatic vibe, a very, like, yes. island-type feel. Pre-Avatar kind of vibe? Yeah, yeah. This is a world in post-apocalypse, you know? This is a yeah. world that has been destroyed, rebuilt, destroyed, and rebuilt again. And these, and yes. you are with the people in the remnants that are like piecing together in the land of Spira, which also captivated me. I was like, Spira? 
ooh, like what a fun world sound. I like it was like the little things like that. You know, for me, it was yeah. also like seeing Titus for the first time um, with yeah. his cool like water sword. I was I'm a Pisces, dear viewers. And so like yeah. as anything water, I was like, oh, oh, my goodness. Water. And then. You know, I'm I'm a young 11-year-old. You know, sports aren't a huge thing, but they have these trailers where they're, like, taking these what looks like soccer balls and hurling them at each other, like dodgeball. I'm an 11-year-old. Yeah. Dodgeball is yeah. king at this time. They have it in this, and it's a game that you, uh, right. a game built in. Like, it's like, oh, wow, Final Fantasy is, like, they're really changing. They're, like, maturing as I'm an 11-year-old. I'm like, yeah. I'm going to mature yeah. by playing this game. It did feel that way. It felt like Final Fantasy X is about to take Final Fantasy from this zone of being maybe, like, four kids. So, like, this is what we thought at the time. Maybe, like, oh, like, Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VIII, Final Fantasy IX, those are cool, but they're for children, you know, because you're watching the little chibi characters. And anytime they have to do... You know, they'll have dialogue sequences where the characters have to do things, quote unquote. And the way that they accomplish that is like very theater of the mind. You know, it's like the character will jump up and down and we're supposed to intuit what that means for their emotional state. Whereas you're looking at Final Fantasy X being like, yo, if one of these characters is sad, we're just going to see that mm. on their face. Like we're just going to feel the actual emotion. No more theater of the, of the mind no more like having these small tiny gestures stand in for capital a acting instead we just have basically a human face up there it was very exciting and the first time you see seymour you know what a son of a bitch <laughs> you know <laughs> immediately that guy is bad yeah. news you don't like traditional him. Final Fantasy bad guy there in in big Seymour. blue hair. <laughs> yeah, big blue hair. You know what? I will say Final Fantasy 10 has an interesting angle on the bad guys, even though if it doesn't really like break the mold in any way. We have Seymour standing in for your Kefkas and your mm -hmm. uh, I guess he's actually really similar to Kuja, which was the bad guy in the preceding Final Fantasy, which is kind of strange to me. But yeah, he's he's similar to Kujo. He has Kefka vibes. He has a little bit of Sephiroth kind of feels yeah. to him yeah. a little bit. He's like yeah. a mage version of Sephiroth, uh, uh, like right. a way hornier. <laughs> yeah, a very, very horny Sephiroth. So we have we have our traditional Final Fantasy bad guy. We have kind of a non-traditional Final Fantasy bad guy. Um, that I don't know if I can spoil. I'll spoil a little bit. So there is the main antagonist of Final Fantasy X is, has a secret identity uh, aspect to it that maybe we will get around spoiling. I don't know if we'll spoil it, whatever. If we do, who cares? But it is a, a, a kaiju, basically. We, yeah. we, have, we finally have a kaiju bad guy for uh, Final Fantasy in this character called Sin. Sin is like a gigantic monster. He kind of roams through the world of Spira, uh, making, making a ruckus and ruining everyone's day. Um, and the world of Spira responds to this periodically by essentially having uh, your summoners, which are it is an old Final Fantasy class, they function in this world culturally as like characters that go on like a religious pilgrimage in order to stop sin for a small period of time and make it so that Sin is no longer roaming the countryside uh, for a while. Uh, and that is an interesting concept and very different from anything we've had in, in Final Fantasy before. And we're going to say a lot of 
good and bad things about this game, I feel like. I'm just mm -hmm. guessing. Mm -hmm. One of the good things I want to say early on is that most, most Final Fantasy games fall apart story-wise in the last act. Like, a lot of them will have a lot of really interesting character stuff going on, a lot of interesting story stuff, and then you reach that point where it's time to enter the late game, and they'll be like, well, okay, so here is now a, a world-destroying bad guy um, who wants to destroy the world. I'm not even sure why. You know, like, it, their, their motivations m might be nebulous to the party. He's angsty. He's mad. I mean, yeah. they know these <laughs> angsty kids are playing this game, so they could be like, yeah. yeah, destroy the world, but no, I need to save it. Um, so right. it is conflicting emotions as the player. You're like, oh, I see yeah. I see Sephiroth's point of view. Yeah. It also makes it simple, though. It, it's like the, the mm -hmm. conflicts might be, like, more complex, but then once we enter the final act, uh, now it's time for it to just be simply about saving the world from a world-destroying bad guy who is God or the devil or both or, uh, yeah, or just the devil or, or just Crazy God. alien. Yeah, yeah, crazy alien God, whatever, something like that. Um, Final Fantasy X, I think, largely does a better job in the final act than most Final Fantasies because it starts setting up for that world-destroying final act from the very beginning. It seeds that. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it already has happened time and time mm -hmm. again. It is mm -hmm. a world where the world-destroying bad guy keeps coming back and right. keeps destroying the world. And right. there's like an answer to it. And it is this, it is the structure in which the world is built. Everyone in this world, minus um, the uh, a, a, another faction inside of it, they everyone is like, yes, you know, we have to do this, we have to believe in this system. And you, Yevon, which also, you know, when I first played it, was like, ooh, this like, and, and it's spoilers, it's a religion that is keeping this all together. Yeah, yeah. um, and which I loved the pool from history, you yeah. know, like this idea, this like, ho like, holy, holy Roman Empire kind of feel to it of like, hey, we have to do this. Um, we have to go on this pilgrimage. We have to. And it's not just like, oh, we choose one person and it's like Ash Ketchum going to catch them all. It's like, no, <laughs> yeah. it is. It is like there are tons of summoners. And what's so cool about it is that you meet them throughout the story and yeah. you meet ones that have failed. Ones that like, yeah, I couldn't complete the pilgrimage. And now right. I'm, I wander the world and, and in kind of like a loss because I've failed this world because I couldn't bring the calm which is like what happens after the um summoners beat sin um, right. and it's just this rebirth begins again yeah it's it has the structure of the entire story is structured around this pilgrimage which is the idea that the party the characters that you play as are going from town to town in spira uh in a very in a nice straight line all the way through a straight nine all the, the way north straight straight line <laughs> straight all the north. way through the defense <laughs> You're going from Florida to Canada. <laughs> yeah, Florida right to Canada, um, and then you're done. Uh, and, and then, or at least the game can enter into its final act, which I would say is a little bit more interesting than, uh, than your average Final Fantasy game. But still, you know, I don't know. We, we're talking about the story in very wide strokes right now. I want to zoom in on something for a second. And I got a couple areas we could go in, son. And I kind of just want to let this conversation flow out of us the way that we want. Mm, like water. Yeah, like water. This is a water episode, okay? Thematically, Final Fantasy X is about water. We're about water right now. 
Do we want to talk about the characters? Do we want to talk about the battle system? Or do we want to talk about the level design, the the area design? Well, let's start let's start area because we've already started kind of talking about the world. So let's start yeah. area and then we'll we'll, we'll work down. Yes. And so okay. Um. And so I was thinking about we were talking about linear path. This is and 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 so this is another a big question I've had the whole time. I'm like I'm so curious what Hunter thinks because, dear listeners, this is like the first straight linear final fantasy game everything else like yeah there's stories that you have to follow the story beats but you get to go into the open world and you can wander around see the world you eventually you know you unlock um chocobos you unlock um different little airships vehicles this game you do there are chocobos um but it's literally like a line. It's the whole, the maps themselves are, you start long here. hallways. And yeah. you just, yeah, long hallways. They're long hallways. Even And, and then the whole story, it, like it's funny, it, Hunter described it as a straight line. When you play the game, it is a straight line. <laughs> it yeah. wiggles a little bit. But for the most part, it's a, it's a linear design, which I am so curious how you felt. Okay. Um, about that. It's weird. I think a lot of the world building in Final Fantasy X is really great. I think that the game suffers a little bit from having this sort of zoomed in perspective that makes the world feel interesting, but small. Final Fantasy, mm. uh, all of the PlayStation Final Fantasies and even the Super Nintendo Final Fantasies have this really, this knack for taking the limitations of the hardware and using it to make the world feel bigger than it is um and the overworld helps a lot with that um and overworlds are they're they're really corny they're they're very game designerly you know it's like literally we're playing the game in like a different mode where our character looks different and the proportions are all different like in final fantasy 7 like cloud is like as big as a town a like he's like a giant yeah. he's like, like godzilla walking yeah. around just like crushing the countryside and that's how they get from place <laughs> to place. I can understand them wanting to get away from that. However, what they've done with Final Fantasy X is it, they kind of shrunk the world down to these hallways that makes it feel like I'm never that blown away by, these, by this huge visual upgrade. When I was a kid, I was just I was excited about the characters, and I didn't notice that the world wasn't really... It was blowing me away more in my mind as an idea, but less as a spectacle because yes. you never get a good feel for what that world feels like as a whole because it is just level design wise, a series of connected hallways. Even when you get a, a uh, this is a spoiler, but towards the end of the game, you do get access to an airship, which is classic Final Fantasy late game stuff. That airship doesn't fly anywhere it it simply presents you with a list of environments that you can select and then visit so in no way is spira ever presented to you as an entire world and because it very rarely zooms out there's a there's a few instances where the camera zooms out to show a wider world like for example there is this place called the calm lands that you go mm-hmm. towards the end of the game, which has a, a larger environment. Um, it's mostly empty, but it, it, it kind of zooms out and widens a little bit. And that's great. But I think maybe perhaps in 2001, because the PlayStation 2 was new hardware, and because they were so focused on things like 
character animation and the the acting of like the story itself i feel like the the world's the world itself kind of suffers like it it feels there's not one town in final fantasy 10 that i have strong feelings about because none of the towns are really zoomed out enough for me to even kind of have an idea of what they're suggesting instead spira just kind of has like a general vibe that i understand but like not not many places of difference where i feel like the the level design is is exciting in any way how do you how do you feel the only thing close to the like where i was like oh the world is kind of there is some like geological things where like the thunder planes right those sure, that was yeah. like okay here's this area like and so the, again that's to what hunter said like your brain is doing a lot of the work in this game which is yeah uh, you know i've thought a lot about it and it's like i think it is like something to to champion for final fantasy 10 they they give you this world and then they somehow creep it into your your brain and and you build the larger part of it because yeah because yeah. it is a bunch of hallways but most of the time you're at beaches <laughs> you're in beach towns and they yeah, all kind of sure. have the same vibe um there's one town in particular luca it's like one of the first huge cities you go to which again i feel like is a classic final fantasy thing start off in a small village or you start yeah. off in a big town and then you either go to a big town or you go to a small village um you start in a small one this one in besaid and then you eventually go to luca um as part of this another stop in this pilgrimage and be in between there, there is a stop, or maybe it's right before it, um, where you stop into a big, like, forest, which is like, okay, this is fun. You got this jungle vibe. Mm -hmm. But then you go to Loka, and it's Luca, and it's this huge metropolis. And that's where you get one of these, again, where the camera pulls back, and you're like, oh, I'm in this massive stadium. Um, right. And and that's where you kind of see this, this cityscape. Um, but before that, and most of the game, it is a lot of blank ocean. Um, yeah. Again, this world is destroyed and they kind of touch on this every now and then you go into um, this uh, one place with the shoe puff um, and uh, you ride the back on the back of this huge elephant. Oh, wait, we have to. You can't just say shoe puff and then like we have to explain <laughs> what a shoe puff is. The, the shoe puff are these blue guys that are. It is a big elephant or wait no yeah the shoe puff is the elephant yeah yeah and then the little guys will talk what are the name of the little blue guys we will talk about them i'm sure okay, right, right. <laughs> those those fellas i was like um there's a lot of things i, I feel like hunter and i could have like a four-hour conversation about this so we're gonna try to condense a lot of well, things. maybe we will i, I mean I, I think i think it's cool that it does a lot of world building um and it tells you like there are these other cities again the shoe puff area you see that there is cities sunken underwater, like this area where you meet the the shoe puffs. I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of the area, and it's really cool. They have these like little fireflies uh, that were mm -hmm. the like spirits things. We'll get into those later. Um, floating around, but this previous civilization had built a massive city across the lake, and of course, right. this is this the oh, a key tenet of this world is technology. It, it, what is what brought us sin right it is it yeah. is this it's very it's very you know high level like classic human centric um you know our advancement equals our destruction sort of thing right and right. so they built this massive city across this huge lake that now you have to take these really cute little elephant babies um across 
And but there's a city buried underneath it. And so it's that's it's like that all across Spira. And so as you're moving throughout, you're like, oh, there's like you're building this like like thought palace in your head when you're playing this, like, oh wow, like I'm I'm trugging across the land of like a previous civilization, a like a tabletop role-playing dream, you know, like oh yeah, there's this yeah. there, there, everywhere I could go. If I could just if I could just take a left here and start digging, who knows what I will find, right? But you yeah. can't do that in this game because no, there's a lot of cannot. hallways and those there's not doors that you can jiggle open like in Silent Hill mm-hmm. and and test. There are just more little hallways that end in a dead end that make you retract back. Because again, this is a turn-based system. Right. And so I, you know, coming back to it, I enjoyed it not being this huge world where I walked across and that I was able to again fall back into 11-year-old self and be like, oh, this world is really cool. I think I appreciated the lore more yeah. this playthrough than I did when I was a child. Yeah, I I agree with that, actually. I think that the themes of the story really hit me a lot harder now, and it, it hit me a lot harder that this is something that makes Final Fantasy X unique at this point, because there's been a lot of, of thematic currency dispensed in every entry of every Final Fantasy game. But X does feel like it's trying to level up that aspect. Mm-hmm. To me, though, I feel like it does so... There's like a trade-off. Because they don't want... One of the things that they're trying to get rid of is the the pre-rendered backdrop stuff. The like, you know, in, in, in the PlayStation 1 Final Fantasies, you're playing through the game and every, every area that you're in... It's really just it's just a painting basically it's a jpeg it's a png it's, it's, on it's top of big, another png it's just a big jpeg and yeah. and you're moving your character along that jpeg however they've decided there's one camera angle the, the camera does not move and you just kind of move around okay i i get that one of those is really limited compared to final fantasy 10 which is basically here's a fully like 3d environment that you're going to walk through and the camera moves, you know, the camera's not just like the camera is literally following your guy around. Now, you don't have camera control. The camera is pretty pre-baked as far as like what it's going to do. But still, this is like a level up in that way. I just wish that they had maybe been a little sloppier with the level mm. design and been a little bit like, you know, we're going to do this and there's going to be like a little bit of that painterly PlayStation 1 stuff in this. So that we can suggest a lot with with yeah. the, the smaller tool set that we have. Instead, it feels a little bit like the de- the level design is reined in to like what they can deliver. And I kind of feel like there was an aspect of the PlayStation trilogy that didn't air so much. That was like, you know what? Here's this weird idea. We just kind of farted this out. It doesn't really make much sense. And if anything, it's even visually confusing. You know, yeah. and I kind of miss that execution a little bit. And I do think later Final Fantasies actually find a way to bring this back around. Um, we we won't be talking about it today, but Final Fantasy 12, I think, does a really good job of being like, OK, let's maybe push at the seams a little bit and let the player kind of forgive us for areas where we've kind of maybe gone too far. But Final Fantasy 10 is. It's it's very focused. It's focused on what they can actually deliver. And in that way, I think the ideas are deeper, but the suggestions aren't as 
wide, if that makes sense. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't ask me to, like, a lot of the environments in Final Fantasy 7, 8, and 9 have no connective tissue to, like, the rest of the world. You'll just, like, go to some freaky place, and it's just mm-hmm. like, yep, here's this freaky place. Final Fantasy X is like, no, we're about cohesion. We're about making this world feel all together. But you do kind of give up something in that, like, sloppy, freaky vibe that you're kind of dropping a little bit. Exactly. Like, you, you quit going into this more, like, surrealism and you yeah. you stick into like an impressionist realist like vision of a world which is cool yes. because yeah like you know i can i in my mind i can go on yuna's pilgrimage and i yeah. know exactly where i'm i start off in the beach Every spot, i go into yeah. the woods yep, i get yep. back on a boat and then i oh, get back i get point. kind of into the mountains and in the in the like mountain plain area you know i kind of go into an icy cold area which that area was freaking awesome yeah, um and well, actually no you hit the thunder planes first then you go into the ice and uh-huh. then it's like then the game kind of opens up and shows you like oh look we do have like these areas but we'll we'll get into that the after after you after shiva everything gets kind of a little weird um and uh so i think now we can kind of i think we can transition into the uh kind of the i i was thinking the battle system or do you want to talk characters let's talk characters because once we establish the characters it'll be easier to incorporate them into discussions of how the battle system works so the main character well i'll say your point of view character maybe not the main character there we go your point of view character in final fantasy 10 is a young man named titus uh, Titus is a Blitzball player. Blitzball is the fun, aquatic, spherical soccer dodgeball dodge dodge game. Ball, <laughs> football, soccer kind of thing. It's, it's a, a wild weird... sport that they came up you, with. You, you a... throw, you pass it, you swim a little bit, then you stop. Then you have guys in front of you that just run into you like linebackers, yeah. hit yeah. you over and over again, and then you yeah. have to throw it again. Um, it is an incredibly difficult <laughs> system it is the yeah. one thing mechanically that has i think aged terribly oh yeah um and um but also made me be like i want this as a game like i want them to actually make a full-fledged thing because the whole time you're in a giant sphere of mm-hmm. water but you never mm-hmm. leave the same plane yeah you don't go up and down you just go across yeah you just go across let ball is is an idea of this world and it's also a uh mini game and final fantasy 10 very famous for mini games, and there will be a lot. Yes. We, we actually, that's a whole new section to this conversation right now. I'm creating mini games, so we will we will get to talking about the mini game uh, design. Uh, spoilers, not the not the best. Um, not the best part. So we've got Titus. Uh, Titus is quite interesting. Uh, he is from a land called Xanarkand, uh, which is a sort of cyberpunk esque Xanarkand uh, Abes. Yeah, he's a, a the star player of the Xanarkand Abes. Uh, <laughs> how could you not know about Titus? Xanarkand cyberpunk future world basically is what it registers as at the very beginning of the game uh Xanarkin is attacked by sin the horrible kaiju which in in uh titus's world they don't know anything about yeah it's like who the hell is this yeah who what, what we're being attacked by a giant monster this is crazy um which actually the game never explains how that makes sense anyways don't worry about it but uh, yeah don't worry about that one then attack well they kind of well they kind of do they kind of do we'll get we'll get to it yeah 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 all right um so sin attacks Xanarkand. 
Edith is now then thrown into the world of Spira. Spira is not a wholly separate oh, oh, domain. Hold on, we missed a character. So you first yeah. meet Titus. Right, I was going to get to him. Okay, okay, because, well, I think it's because, because Matt, when you edit this video, at the very beginning or at this moment, you need to put in the, like, the, like, well, actually, it's not that music, but there's, like, this song that, you know, when I first heard it, I was like, what? You know, even, yeah. it took me out of the Final Fantasy because it felt like, you know, like, God, some new metal music of the times where they kind of put into it. Um, and you meet Auron. Um, this badass character. I mean, just visually, you're like, yes, I want all of that. I want it all day character. long. Red cloak, one arm, like in not in a sling, but like just hanging out in the shirt and a massive sword over his shoulder yeah. with cool, like, Morpheus glasses on his yeah. eyes with like part of his bottom of his face is like covered up by like the collar of this red cloak and you're like yes yes like this who is this guy he's my best friend now um and then you go and you fight these little guys anyway sorry I'm gonna kick it back to you he get <laughs> Titus I just have to talk about Oren I think he's amazing um yeah very Vincent-esque he well so this is how I would describe Oren so Oren is is your samurai ronin type yes, character as yes. far as like how he behaves in the battle system and also just how his attitude is but he's not really like a you're a kurosawa person he's not really like a toshiro mifune type samurai he's more like if clint eastwood was a samurai Ooh, um, he yeah. has a very man with no no name type vibe to him uh, he's very silent he's he's a man of few words uh very stoic um but a very cool character and honestly more important than titus or most way more plot. important yeah yeah he, he is a, he is very uh instrumental to the plot in a way that titus uh isn't quite until maybe sort of the end i guess so Oren is a character that appears to titus uh seems to be aware of what's going on um says a bunch of cryptic uh story you know suggestive stuff to titus and then titus gets sucked into a wormhole and wakes up in the world of spira which is where the entire game takes place now titus does find out uh, and this is a spoiler, that Spira is, like, thousands of years later from, like, it's like, it's like Titus has traveled in time into the future, but the future is post-apocalyptic, whereas Titus's past was all futuristic, uh, and it seems like relatively good, at least for Titus, anyways, his life was... Uh, great. He was a star blitzball player of the Xanarkin Abes. Yeah, everybody everybody talks about Xanarkin as like, oh, that like exists. It's like how we talk about Rome today. You know, yeah. we talk about Rome as like this. It was the, you know, Rome and ancient Greece was like this height of human civilization at one point, And then it came crashing down. Yes. And then imagine if you were a Roman that just got tossed in 2023, you'd be like, what in the world? Although Titus, I will say Titus adjusts like pretty quickly. And one of, I would say, kind of the uh, how, let's uh, just talk about Titus for a second. How do you feel about Titus? Because I find him a little bit uh, obnoxious. But I'm not a hater. Like, I don't hate him. But yeah, he's a little bit off. So there's some things about Titus, right? So the whole game, this is another aspect of the, the linear storytelling, which is very different than any previous game. You are, the whole game you're playing, when moments happen, when these interpersonal moments happen, you get a you get an overvoice of Titus talking and telling you, oh, like, yeah. Yeah, oh, we were we were doing this and I didn't think of this at the time. And it's like you start to get really emotional. That overvoice Titus does a lot of work to yeah. make you love him because or, 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 you know, to kind of maybe tolerate him. Um, Give you because, insight. 
Yeah, because that that overvoice, you know, that narration is is really a really empathetic. You know, you're like, yeah. what is happening? Because you know that must yeah. be him in the future. Because you start off the opening part of this game is you looking across like a destroyed landscape of this what looks like an old city. You were looking and everyone's really sad. Everyone's standing around. You have your sword in the ground, Yuna's staff in the ground and Waka's blitz ball there. And then you kind of walk off. You're looking into this, uh, the distance and then Titus is doing this narration above it. And you're like, whoa, what is happening? Which is also a very different way of storytelling than any previous Final Fantasy game. Everyone, you kind of start off in media res. You start off, you're in the story, you're in like an event and then you keep going. This is right. like, no, we're going to show you kind of the end or part of the end. And then we're going to bring you back to where the story starts, which I yeah, always yeah. thought was really cool. It's, it's a framing device, right? Like it's like mm-hmm. this is the the most of the game that you play is actually Titus recounting the events that have happened thus far to you, the player. Um, so that's interesting. And I do agree with you that that Titus's voiceover is more likable than his character. His character's kind of an idiot. <laughs> yeah, he kind of he kind of plays it like a goofy idiot and and just kind of not not very like sensitive and not he, he doesn't easily work out some things that maybe the player can work out. There are like certain twists in the game that are dependent on you being as dumb as Titus. Yeah. And since you're not, it doesn't really make sense. Like, it's like, Atidas will be confused about something that you are like, well, this is probably, something like this is probably going on. And so when he's all like, what? This is such a crazy twist. You're like, well, it's not that crazy. We kind of saw it coming, bud. Um, yeah. Sorry that you're having such a hard time with it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but like, yeah, and so there, there's a lot, and this, so there's this, this thing that no one else in the world gets encountered. It's called the sin toxin. Oh, I got too close oh, yeah, to sin. That. It makes you lose your your memories. No one else in the entire world ever is infected with this. You meet um, you do meet one person who has do, it actually do you? in 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 Kilika, which is a place that you visit later in the game that does get attacked by sin. There is a person that is like now, and it it might be that the whole sin's toxin thing that the characters talk about. Maybe it's not even real. It might just be something made up. But there is a character that you meet there. Um, I mean, it's literally just like an NPC that you can just like, you know, talk to for just a second. Um, and they're not even voiced. Uh, but they're basically saying that they can't remember like who they are, or what's going on um, because of sense toxin. Oh, see, that to me was like I thought of it like as a trauma thing. That person yeah, is like, have, it could. And, be. and yeah, so who knows? But anyways, Titus uses this as like it's basically a huge crutch from the entire game. All the other characters are like, oh, you can't remember, you know, they don't believe yeah. that he's from a thousand years ago, because why would you? Right. Um, even though he did just mysteriously pop up in the water in this island and conversate, everyone's like, who's this guy? Where'd you come right. from? He's like, I, you right. know, I came from a thousand years ago. And they're like, okay, well, you know, no one decided to do the research or look up any like shipping manifest or anything like, yeah, this guy literally right. came out of nowhere. And yeah, so you you kind of are this this like, oh, I'm just I don't know anything kind of crutch the entire game that does wear thin because you start to go through some pretty serious stuff as a group together. And yeah. he just still never gets it. He still never goes, well, let, let's do some like some common sense here and be like, OK, you know, this is what's going on. He's not the best protagonist. Mm. But this is this is a Square Enix pre Kingdom Hearts world, and little yeah. did we know we got some 
Titus was kind of our first introduction into belts and more belts and buckles. Yeah. Um, oh, and he, I have something. I have something for the belt situation. Oh yeah, and 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 he isn't he isn't the most belt and buckly person no, in this entire game not. by far. Definitely he's not. just your he's just your first your first sip of it. Um, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but uh, I you know if I had to rank him, you know he's not going to be in the top five protagonist mm-hmm. i think but he's like probably six he he, he gets it he it's some maybe in certain criteria he might get into that top five well we're gonna talk let's talk about a side character now because actually i do think what makes titus interesting and what probably would elevate him on a list like that for myself is his relationship with his father which mm-hmm. is explored uh as like kind of a main theme of final fantasy 10 um his dad is named uh ject 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 j-e C-H-T. Um, he was also a Blitzball player. He kind of looks like Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean um, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, and he also... But like but he's way like, more jacked. <laughs> yeah, way, way jacked. Way more jacked. He's someone that had disappeared from Titus's life like 10 years prior before the game started. Um, and then you find out had actually gone through a very similar experience that Titus went through in mm-hmm. that Jacked was ripped from Xanarkin and plopped into Spira. Um, now, if you've ever played Final Fantasy VIII, one of the best things about that game is that your party spends a lot of time reflecting on a past kind of party of adventurers um, and their journey that you sort of play through while you're playing through your own kind of echoes yours in some interesting ways. They've taken that concept from Final Fantasy VIII and they've plopped it right in Final Fantasy X, but you don't get to play as the past adventurers you just get to kind of see and hear about that. Yeah, I wish we had actually just gotten to taste it a little bit. Like that section in Final Fantasy VIII where you play as those characters is yeah. one of the most amazing Final Fantasy yeah. moments of all time. Oh and you're God. like, whoa, Very good. I'm playing these characters. I don't know what. And it's what's cool about it is you also that. Well, well let's not dive too far in Final Fantasy VIII. I felt myself going. I had to like pull the emergency brake and stop everything. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah, Jack, that whole, that is really interesting. And you find out some other things about Jack, that Orin was there with him. Yes. So Orin and, just- and your dad are basically buddies that had traveled together with um, a character named Braska, who we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit about later. Who's someone else's father. Yes. It's a lot of father stuff. A lot of daddy uh, in stuff this one. going on. No, no mommies that I remember, but definitely, no, definitely no. some daddy stuff. Everyone's mom's either dead or they don't talk about her. Yeah, we just don't <laughs> talk about um, the mommies. Um, so when Titus uh, enters uh, the world of Spira at the beginning of the game, he does meet uh, one character first um, to have a little kind of pre-adventure adventure. adventure. Uh, you meet a character called Riku. Riku is what's called an Albed, which in this uh, world is sort of a kind of another uh, nationality, mm-hmm. but is considered like a lot of people are kind of racist to the Albed or like feel a certain prejudice against them. They speak a different language than the, than the rest of Spira. They also um, like to use machines. And in the world of Spira, uh, your the religious order has decreed that we will not make use of machines, computers, anything like that. None of that is on the table. We are not using that. So the Albed are sort of in, they're heretical, right, to the to the established religious order, um, which is another source of prejudice. But Riku, uh, I don't know how to describe Riku. I guess she's fun. Uh, she's bouncy. She's like Yuffie 
Yeah, it's like, if, you, oh my god, that's exactly what it is. He's basically Yuffie. These characters that are meant to be whimsical, meant to be fun, meant to deliver a little bit of of comic relief, um, to the especially when the story gets really dark. Riku has an interesting aspect to her, too, where it seems like as the as the story gets darker, the way that they choose to portray Riku in that light is that she literally gets, like, overwhelmed, which I think is a little bit strange. Um, there are times where... Riku is a very good character in that opening chapter as mm. far as introducing you to the world of Spira. And I find later in the game, it feels like they sort of forget about what her point in the story is. I have a bunch of notes right here. And I want to, yeah. now that we're talking about her, and we haven't talked about Yuni yet, but we're, and we yeah. mentioned Braska's name, I have to come in and put a little wedge in here. Um, yeah, do it. So a classic Final Fantasy character, he's in every single game, his name's Sid. Um, there's yes. a Sid in this game, and it's Riku's dad. Um, yeah. You also find out that in the story, Yuna has an uncle named Sid. It's the same guy. That's her uncle. Riku's her cousin. They right. never talk about it. Not no. once through the whole they, story. Even when they meet, you know, it's as if they're complete strangers. And then they kind of become friends. Like, literally, you meet, you come back up, spoilers, you, you meet Riku, she goes away for a, a for actually a pretty significant amount of time in the game. Huge chunk of the game, she's gone. Yeah, but then she just appears. She's just you. You fight this thing uh, when the Snoopuff uh, stuff. You fight this machine. She's inside this machine. Um, she pops out. Titus finds her on a thing. Goes, hey, hey, buddy. You know, and she's I like, know oh, you. yeah. And and this and then you have this. You know, of course they they have all the CGI. They show her like, hey, you know, hi, how are you? And then Yuna walks over. And then these, the, all the girls in the party go, hey, we have to talk. Um, we just need to talk without all of you. You never get any insight, which I was actually, I was like, oh, I guess you don't find out what they talk about. And you kind of kind of assume what they kind of pick up and talk about. But even after that, they never go, hey, we are actual family. You and me <laughs> are family. Like, we're f no, like flesh and blood, biologically so the same. And they never discuss it. And it and I didn't really comprehend that as a child, but playing it this it was probably one of the biggest rubs. It felt like sandpaper. I was like, why haven't you identified that this is your cousin? This is your friend. Right. We don't get this a lot in Final Fantasy games where there's like family members that are also in your party. Um and Yuna for the large part, like Riku's very, very affectionate towards Yuna. She calls her Uni. Um, and it's really cute and it's wonderful, but Yuna does not reciprocate that relationship whatsoever. She's like, yeah. hey, Riku, all right, I gotta, you know, I got shit going on. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> so know, bizarre. We'll it's catch a very up later. bizarre moment, um, especially because, um, as we'll discuss in just a second, we're gonna get to the rest of the characters. Most of them are already in the party together. Yeah. They're already basically a party and then you show up and join that riku is a late addition yeah it might be one of the first time that happens where you're like yeah. oh i'm gonna join the party instead of start the yeah. party yeah yeah you you join the party in final fantasy 10 as opposed to starting it and building it up from like a couple characters up to a bunch riku is a late addition to the party and when she's added because they are not explaining the family relationship thing and they don't explain it Riku just joins the party, and you're like, oh, well, I guess I'm playing as Titus, so I don't care, right? I mean, I know this character, but why is everyone else just kind of like, okay, I, I guess this is fine? It's it's very, it, it almost feels like an afterthought. Like, they're like, oh, you know what? They need to meet Riku at some point. 
but we don't really have an interesting way to make that happen. So let's just say they meet Riku and then Riku joins the party so that she can be in the rest of the game. And there's a lot of problems with that because, again, we mentioned she's an Albed, right? Well, Waka, yeah. Waka hates the Albed. Like, he's right. kind of racist. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a lot wrong with this character. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's just funny, like, because they clearly with Waka, they were like, let's make Zell again. You know, like, yeah. let's make this sporty kind of guy. And they did. I mean, no one can touch Zell. One of the best, best Final Fantasy characters of all time. Uh, all hail yeah, Zell. Zell likes hot dogs. So there you go. Yeah. He's, he's the Sonic of the Final Fantasy universe. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. so they go into some more detail about her. It's like, so Albed have crazy eyes. They almost have like mm-hmm. a couple of like pupils. Like they, they, well, they have different, their eyes are different colors. That's, their eyes are different the colors thing, right? and they spiral around. They have yeah. like a, there's like a spiral. He, when he meets her, they're like, don't tell Waka that she's an outbed. And then you find out that Waka's like racist. You're like, oh shit, I've been like hanging out with, he's my bud. And you're like, oh, okay, Waka. Well, I won't call him a full on racist. I guess that's a really tough term. He's, um, yeah, he, but he, he, he is, he is prejudiced against the outbed. Um, and he, he is also the most, he has the highest amount of religious fervor. Let's just talk about Waka now because we need to introduce yeah, yeah. who this character is. So Waka is the character that you meet. That is already a member of the party. He he is someone that is going to be going on the pilgrimage with Yuna, which is a character we'll talk about in just a sec, uh, in more depth. Waka likes Blitzball. He's a Blitzball player in this world, which makes him and Titus natural friends. Of course. Um, he is the most dedicated to the religious values of the order, even more so than Yuna, who is actually a summoner, which is sort of like being, I guess, a priest in this world. Mm-hmm. And, and like we were saying, is prejudiced against the Albed. Uh, he is played by John DiMaggio in the um, in the English uh, dub of the game, or I guess I'll call it a dub. I don't know. Uh, yeah. And uh, who, who, if you don't know, is a voice actor famous for playing like Bender um, from Futurama and Jake from Adventure Time. So it's a recognizable voice. Um, not as fun, I would say, as those characters. Every once in a while, you hear a little bit of like Jake, especially kind of in it, in the more adventurous like lines. Overall, though, Waka... I don't know, kind of a tough character to like in this game, in my opinion. Like, I, I, I like that he is, like, kind of the, the one with the most heart. Uh, he very much uh, is filling in the sort of, like, almost Barrett, uh, Barrett yes. Wallace from Final Fantasy VII type role here, where he is, like, firmly dedicated to the values and the goal and the mission of the party. And he's a sweet guy. He has a good heart. But also there's a lot of tension that comes up between him and the other characters because of his kind of, I would say, hard-headedness in his approach, basically. And he's really useful against flying creatures um, and giving status effects. (laughs) (laughs) That's his his go-to in my book, in my mind. I quickly fall off. Like, uh, uh, Waka doesn't leave the story. He's very prominent. There's actually one point in the game where he where you actually kind of feel for a person like Waka where he has his world mm-hmm. kind of falls apart and he's you're like, oh, yes. that would be tough. Um, yeah, that would be traumatized. But, you know, beyond that, Waka, Waka is probably, you know, I would say he's on the bottom of this party. Um, yeah. When it comes to like, oh, I'm going to like invest my time in him, even though they keep him in the mainstream of the story quite. Uh, I mean, they keep all these characters, I think, in the mainstream. There's only one character, I think. Maybe two that kind of that kind of get their stories get kind of left um, yeah. in, in the ether. Unspoken. Um, yeah. Yeah. But they, they have big moments. Um, one more so than the other. But yeah, Waka, Waka is an interesting guy. He is a, 
putting him up with the Barrett, kind of the heart of it. Like you, you know, mm-hmm. this guy will never betray you. Um, he he yeah, is really. in it for the. He would die for you. You know, like and you're like, okay, I I really we need that character, right? We need to have that character yeah. in your party. It's important because, um, you know, for a long time, I really thought when I first played this game. And then, I mean, again, I thought several times was like, oh, they could have killed him off and made it like a really kind of emotional yeah. moment for the story. It, yeah. could have, it could have kind of changed the flow a little bit, but, you know, they don't. Oh, you know who we haven't talked about at all yet is Lulu. Yeah, uh, I was about to say we haven't talked about Lulu or Kamari. Or Kamari. So we need to talk about those two. So Lulu uh, is the next character character that you meet. She is also already a member of the party going on the pilgrimage with Yuna. Um, she is your black mage. She does elemental magic and other uh, useful magic in general. Her character is just that she's kind of ice cold a little bit. She's a goth um, girl. She is a goth woman. Yeah, she's goth very woman. goth. Goth yeah. woman, and she's our belt and buckle queen. Um, <laughs> she is the queen. She is what gave birth to the belt and buckles of Kingdom Hearts. All those belt and buckles Absolutely. are directly t- tied from her, in my opinion. What's odd, too, is that at several points in the story, uh, it's definitely suggested that her and Waka maybe have like a bit of a romantic relationship going on. But then the game sort of like leaves that be or like doesn't really have anything to do with that. Um, and in the end, Lulu starts feeling like another character that so Lulu never gets her own story, which yeah. I think is a little bit obnoxious. It is. Um, Waka gets some moments to himself. Obviously, Yuna is very important. Kimari even gets like his own storyline. We don't really learn anything about Lulu in particular. What we know about um, Lulu is that she was in a relationship, potentially going to get married to Waka's brother. Yeah. Who and is so we now have this dead. classic, classic, like, you know, rom-com kind of relationship yeah, right. that builds. Oh, my brother died. We have this. And they're kind of like, at first they kind of have this brother sister kind of vibe where they pick on each other because they're like, you know, they're, Yuna considers them, they're her older brother and older sister. Um, yeah. And so they kind of have this vibe. Um, but yeah, the story hints that like, there might be some more emotion there, but they never dig into it, which was always, I felt very disappointing um, that like, why give me some more of Lulu. Like, like give me more right. of her story but they they really just and when i mentioned earlier those two characters i feel like one's lulu and another one's kamari to an extent yeah yeah kamari though so we'll talk about kamari kamari is your chewbacca type character mm-hmm. he is um he is a ronzo um yes. which makes Such him a like cool a giant race. he's a giant blue like kind of dog lion humanoid lion character. yeah he's like a dog no he's more like a lion you're right he's like a lion guy with a horn but his horn has been like kind of chopped off yeah um, which you find out why later i will say though i mean like kamari does get like a little a little snippet of story that is all his own in a way that lulu never does at never all. does exactly and but kamari's doesn't take place until way later in the game and like and but it, but the moment is really cool the music for that whole fight with kamari um the kind of spoilers kamari has this one-on-one one-on-two fight with some other ronzos um and it is re the music for that whole scene and kind of like the set piece for it you're on the side of this mountain um it's it's really cool it has a really cool um feel mostly he just really cares about yuna He's just kind of Yuna's babysitter type character. He's he's a man of few words, barely says anything to you early on in the story and eventually warms up to you over time. And then that brings us to our last character, who is, I would say, actually the main character. Because yeah. what she, she's the one that does stuff that's important to the plot uh, at mm-hmm. all, at, through the entire game. Every character gets some time to, except for Lulu and Riku, I'd say for the most part. Um, 
every character gets some time to do something that's important to the plot that is advancing the plot but yuna is always advancing the plot yuna she is, is our plot yeah she is the plot um she is a summoner she is going on a pilgrimage to defeat sin and bring another calm um her father uh lord uh, high summer high summoner Braska was also a summoner before her and also defeated sin um and he and, was the last summoner to do so absolutely so she's sort of she's coming from a legacy um and yuna is uh sweet she is empathetic um she's a little bit weird which i like mm -hmm. she has kind I of a, the the voice actress does a pretty weird delivery i would say for yuna <laughs> most of the time and it's because yuna's going through a lot of weird stuff you know it's it's the pilgrimage itself is quite a strange thing to do um and there are some caveats to it that i think are very important to know that the plot does not let you know until quite later the the, the plot of the game I would say is a little bit too interested in twists. I would say it, it maybe has yeah. one or two too many twists that it could have just like left or, or done them in a different order. Um, like for example, there's some things you're told, like for example, about the identity of the Kaiju sin. And what do I even mean by that? Well, whatever I'm sin has like an, an extra part of the monster's personality that you're told about, very early on in the game for i'm not even sure why i think it's something yeah. that could have been saved till later whereas the finer details of the pilgrimage that yuna is on is saved for a late game reveal when i feel like they could have been swapped around in a way that would have maybe been a little more interesting to explore now i i will the, we'll just i think this may be our first part where we really disagree because yeah, yeah, i do it. i prefer the twist with yuna at the end Okay. Because of Titus's narration throughout the story, I right. think with 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 you reveal that too soon. Um, obviously, replaying it this time, I knew exactly what was going on. But right. you know, eleven year old son did not know. Uh, I did not know in two thousand one the extent of what her story was, and so this narration going over on top of it, and then getting that in the end, very satisfying. I do agree, though, the identity of sin, why that was revealed so early, and then. The, the pressure, like the unneeded pressure for one for one of the characters to keep that secret was just didn't make any sense. Right. Um, but Yuna's character, going back to her, she it's really cool that she is this like legacy. Mm -hmm. You know, she is this like famous person's daughter. Um, and, and and what's cool is that you find out that, you know, Jack came in. He and there's these. So all these characters around Yuna are their guardians. Yeah. Um, and you find out that Jet was her father's guardian alongside Oren. Yes. And then so when you meet Oren, it's like, hey, you know, and, and it's like a big deal. This would be like, you know, if like this is like Wayne Gretzky going to the Kings. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, wow. Like they're going to this is going to be a big deal. Right. Um, And <laughs> and so like Yuna's like, wow, like, of course. And when people meet Oren through the story, there's another guardian of a summoner later on that meets Oren. It's a really cute scene because he's just like, um, I forget his name. He has some like. Brosco, Brosco, or something like that. I Brosco, or I forget his. Yeah, I don't remember. I thought it was like Bartholomew. Yeah, so maybe it's something like that. Real, real, like, and he's a real meaty, yeah, meaty, real meaty lad. Big boy. Um, and when and when he meets Arn, he just falls apart and goes, "Could I have your autograph?" And he's like, you know, this big tough guy, and 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 so Arn is like this, also another famous person in this world, and uh, and so it's it's really 
cool to see Yuna have all these ties because it really because to me Yuna is my favorite character she is the emotion that drives me through this story anytime I would get close to like shedding a tear or like really feeling my heart being plucked where the scenes where Yuna was battling with what she knows is going to happen and with like her current state um spoilers Yuna and Titus fall in love this is our (laughs) classic we gotta have final fantasy story you can't have it without some sort of love um and yuna and titus get emotional and so with Yuna's, and i don't know how much we're gonna spoil so i'm gonna again keep this under veil um yuna with everything she knows she has to do but she's also falling in love with this 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 stranger this mysterious mystery man um and i think it's really interesting that there are these ties with her story that they directly pull into the plot that if they're not ex- executed throughout the story and the way they're executed, I don't think they make Yuna's character as interesting. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of scenes where um, you you get really emotional. I think more so with her than anyone else. And maybe I got more emotional in the second playthrough because it has been almost, what would have been 20 years since... I played this. Oh my god! Don't say to that. Completion Is that again. right? Oh my god! Uh, I uh, 2001. Yeah, it's, no, it's I, 2023. I did not play it when it it's, was originally re-released um, for the HD remaster. So yeah, this is the first time I've completed this game since like almost 20 years ago. Wow. Yeah, and so like playing it now, I definitely got more emotional just because like I'm like, and especially with Titus's narration, I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, like this actually, this is brilliant. But you know, I'm I was trying to think critically, like if this was my first time, is this going to hit me as hard? But like, am I going to remember this line in hour five, at hour twenty eight? You know, and is it going to hit that hard? That part I can't answer to you, dear listeners. I just know I was emotional through this entire game, knowing what was going to happen, and having that, having Luna and and that actor who voice acted um, them give this just like really interesting like take on a character that has a lot of secrets. Mm But the world, it isn't a secret to the world. It's only a secret to Titus. Right. To me, that's the part that makes it difficult, though, is because the idea that all of the characters are keeping, um, let's just go ahead and spoil it. If you care about spoilers, I would say maybe this is as much of the episode you can hear as far as plot is concerned. We will start talking about mechanics in a bit. Yeah, we got to rip this Band-Aid off. We got to spoil some stuff. Otherwise, we can't talk about this stuff. So the, the, the twist is that Yuna will die at the end of her pilgrimage. Oh, and we should, let's detail the pilgrimage. Yeah. We haven't really talked yeah, about yeah. the pilgrimage is you go to these temples right. in this beautiful line straight north, yeah. Canada. <laughs> um, you, Zanarkand, uh, Zan Canada. Um, you, you go in this pilgrimage, you stop at these temples and you get summons. Yeah. This is another great, and this is another pool from previous games, you know, like Final Fantasy VIII. We got to bring it back. And there's a lot of connections with Final yeah, Fantasy VIII yeah, to this game, definitely. which I think is real interesting. Um, summons are like a big deal. They play a huge part of this game and story and you find out so much about them and she goes on this pilgrimage to go to these temples and and each temple is kind of fun in the sense that there are these puzzles they're very zelda like right in the way their puzzles are even though i think they're a little simpler i mean they're pretty basic there's a lot of re- retracing your steps re-pushing these little stones tablets anyways but yuna gets all these summons you start off with um veil for and then you get ifrit and then you get um uh, Shiva, and then you get this really cool unicorn Ixthian, thing. Yeah. Um, or, or or do you get the unicorn you get Ixthian first? Ixian and then Shiva. Yeah, that's the order. Ixian and then Shiva. 
Um, and then, and then you're, you're going on these things and then you get Bahamut, uh, which I think this is one of the coolest in our incarnations of Bahamut, in my opinion. That's what I was going to say. Dude. So Bahamut is a summon in like every, Bahamut is a dragon, uh, apparently based off some mythological dragon that I don't know anything about because I'm stupid, but the platinum dragon, he's, he's, he's some sort of fantastical mythological dragon. Uh, he is a common, uh, like final, not necessarily the best summon in every Final Fantasy game, but generally like a late game summon the that you get that is quite good. Um, Final Fantasy VII loves Bahamut so much you get like three different Bahamut summons. Oh yeah, um, that's how that's that's how much of a big deal this dragon is. In Final Fantasy X, you get him as like here is your big your big bad beefy boy that can do a lot of damage and i don't even care like if you've leveled correctly he can ju- he just does the most he just does damage. Hella damage yeah and the whole system but- with summons for final fantasy 10 is you summon the the you know the demon or whatever it is the godlike character the spirit to come in the spirit to stand in for your party and fight on their behalf. So it's not just they come in and do a super move and then leave like most Final Fantasies. No, they are coming in and fighting the whole battle for you. Um, so yeah. And what's cool is that you meet other summoners, specifically this one other woman that you have like summoning battles. Yeah. Well, when you summon one, you can't, the other person can't summon that one. Right. And, 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 because like you were literally bringing literally this summon it. to yeah. the world. Yeah. Um, it's as if he's like, they're teleporting from their realm, which they are. Uh, we can get in, maybe get into that. Um, uh, but they teleport in, and um, and then they're there. Um, and so the pilgrimage is you're going from all these little towns and getting there. And and to get and defeat sin, you have to get all of these summons, and you have to because these summons, they're they're this the world of Spira has these little like motes of light, these um, will o' the wisp around it, and that's and this is something. Um, I have my paper notes I have to bring out. Um, what I think is cool, all the monsters, the fiends, that's what they're called. They're called fiends. And they're made up of when people die, if they don't get sent to the far plane. Um, and that's what I think is really cool about this game is there has there's different planes mm-hmm. of existence. Mm-hmm. And one of them is the far plane. And that's where people go when they die. And... And so all these fiends are made up of the people that didn't get sent. And summoners are the ones that they do this dance. Killika, I believe, is the first time you see Yuna does this dance. <laughs> yeah, you do and it becomes dance, this. And then people go to heaven. Go to heaven, <laughs> yeah. And and it's really, well, it's, uh, uh, you know, and we joke about it, but I think the story does a really good job. Every time Titus goes, I don't want to see Yuna dance anymore, right? right? It becomes really powerful because you're yeah, like, yeah, that yeah. means a lot of people died. Right. Um, and so. And when they people don't die, they become fiends. They become these crazy monsters or classic Final Fantasy monsters. Yeah. Um, and but and, you know, and again, it's a turn-based, a random monster thing. So there's you fight a lot of monsters and you realize there's a lot of dead people floating around. Um, and which is a, again another huge part of this game uh that is so interesting. Um there's so many levels of this that I um that I really enjoy in the lore-wise. And so you and then these summons are people that have died but they become these special monsters that you can summon these these you know they're more powerful than anything else um and and you 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 have to she goes in and prays at these temples to earn um their acceptance and then they will follow her on her quest and do this pilgrimage you go and go and go and go until you get to the last temple um and that last temple you get the final summon that final summon is what you use to kill sin and right. then in the process of using it, 
the summoner dies. Yes. Um, there's a lot in that last little bit. There's a lot of story that I'm not saying. I don't know if we want to talk about it. Yeah, let's leave that out at least. Yeah, I do want to talk about it, but maybe we'll talk about it some other day because that part right there is fascinating. It is it is so interesting. The The lore behind the final summon is amazing. Right. Um, it is definitely worth the adventure. Um, and again, like what Hunter said about the payoff in the end, it is that payoff, I think, is really, really solid. Well, let's transition because you were talking a little bit about fiends there where we've I feel like we've established a lot of the world of this game. Let's talk about the battle system. Um, yes, this is an aspect of the game where I have no caveats. Um, it is a fi fantastic evolution of the turn based battle system uh, that had been developing from game to game for what over, you know, over 10 years by the time this game came out. Uh, the way it works is it is purely turn-based, no active time battle thing. There's no time aspect to it. There's just a series of turns that are listed on a little menu, and it will show you when each character in your party is going to um, do an action, and it also shows you when each of the monsters is going to do an action specifically. It shows you the exact order, no hiding anything from you. They can't just, like, sneakily... Uh, decide nope now i'm going next instead no you just know and you can see ahead like many actions yeah, and this became a big rpg thing at the time a lot right. of rpgs at this time in particular started taking this like hey here's the turns and i feel like it was an attempt to make rpgs a little bit more tactical so you could right. be like okay right. i'm gonna plan you can really plan out your moves it's great yeah and this game i really feel like does it i mean and it's what's sad about it is they don't do it again. Right. Well, I feel like they could have made. I mean, we, we. I can. This is where I can get real mad at the Final Fantasy and Square Enix world because they don't have this turn-based system any longer after this game. This is the last classic turn-based Final Fantasy game. You know, where right. you sit in a line and there's a line of bad guys and you fight. I still love that. I still want it. I wish Final Fantasy 16 was doing it. It is not, but whatever. Um, but you have like your limit breaks. They're they're called overdrives instead of limit breaks. They should have just called it limit breaks. I don't know why. They whatever. They like I mean, coming up with a new uh, with a new term for it. Just stop uh, it. <laughs> the overdrive system uh, is fine, uh, although it feels a little like undercooked compared to maybe some other games. Um, yeah. But basically, the way the way it works out is like this: each monster has a specific member of your party that is best at killing that monster. Uh, well, Big Whoop, I, I only have three characters fighting at one time, right? Well, no, not really. Mm -mm. At any point on a character's turn, you can switch them out for one of the characters that are not currently in that battle. And that system allows it to feel like my entire party is right there on the battlefield yeah right there on the battlefield and ready to go it especially makes boss encounters much more interesting um and makes it so that the enemy design and what your characters can do feel more closely related than ever before um it makes other final fantasy games feel a little more arbitrary by comparison um and it also allows each character to sort of have a mechanical identity that is rock solid. You just know what they do, what they are good at. To break it down, I mean, we have, so we have our black mage and our white mage. That is, of course, uh, Lulu and then Yuna. Um, we have a thief in Riku. We mm -hmm. have uh, sort of a, 
I don't know, like a like a light damage dealer in uh, like a agile damage dealer in Tidus, almost like a. Uh, mm, actually, how would you describe that in Final Fantasy terms? He, I mean, he reminds me of Squall. He's very yeah. Squallish. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's light on his feet. He he doesn't take a lot of damage, but he can deal a lot of damage if the other care. He's your fat. He's he's almost like if Riku is a thief as far as the thieving parts, then Tidus would be like a rogue. Um, yeah. as in like does like a swashbuckler glass cannon type yeah swashbuckler type uh, character you have Waka who is your uh, long range physical type character he literally throws a ball to do damage no archers in this game there, there yeah. are guns in this game um, but right. he doesn't do that he throws a ball <laughs> right right <laughs> which I love it. he plays dodgeball the entire time right right he plays he, he does the dodgeball you have Arn who is like a heavy uh, does uh, hardcore uh, damage, but also can take hardcore damage, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, sort of cuts through various armors, um, and is probably the most useful character in the party. Yeah, um, he's so useful. And then you have Kimari, who rounds out the party as being a jack of all trades, who can literally learn, like, is set up in such a way as to where you could expand him into doing any number of of these jobs and he's kind of like your sid he has a giant lance and he does he can attack aerial creatures land creatures uh he can do heavy damage um he is i mean he can kind of cast spells Uh, he like learns monsters like attacks yes and you does learn i probably went into that way too much as a child like i tried to get him to learn all sorts of stuff (laughs) it's not very important there's like a few ones that you can get and you can just ride those out the rest of the game right um but now that you mentioned kamari specifically let's talk about the actual the sphere grid the spear grid. Yeah. So Kamari is positioned. So there's this huge spear, and you can look it up. And dear listeners, please do it because it is wild. It is like a massive, crazy looking map. It looks like some ancient wall and a tomb that you would find and try to connect, literally connect the dots. And Kamari's is based in a certain spot of this grid. They're all connected. Real, real quick, let's ex- let's explain what the spear grid is even for because we're just talking about a sphere grid, and they're like, "Well, I have no idea." So the That's sphere fair. grid is how you advance your characters. It's how they learn skills. It's how they grow as far as their hit points, their magic points are concerned. It's just their, their general power. level. Yeah, their their level of advancement is tied to the sphere grid. The sphere grid is almost like a board game where you are moving along a linear path from ability to ability. And each character starts somewhere on the sphere grid. Um, Lulu, of course, is a black ma- mage. So she starts in the black mage area of the sphere grid. So in this way, Squaresoft has said, hey, here are all the characters. Here's what they do. But you don't really have to go by their guidelines if you do not want to. And with Kamari in particular, they start him in in a part of the sphere grid that would allow him to expand into anyone else's sphere grid whenever he wants, basically. Um, and I do want to ask you, son, what did you do with Kamari? He learned a little like white magic and mm-hmm. a little bit of black magic. So I kind of skated him in between that um, and kept him where I could eventually dive into Aaron's path. Right. Um, and so because I wanted him to I wanted him to be tough. Um, he's already built like a tank. I wanted him to be more tank. But I also wanted him as as like uh, eventually I got him to um learn haste right which was i think is a big deal to have multiple characters no haste in yep. this game Keep haste is, yep. Yep. is so overpowered um especially when you can like 
when you get hey staga and you just boom hey staga bring in two more people hey staga and then yeah. boom you're you can just oh, you just wreck shop you're taking all the turns basically the monsters get to take like minimal turns exactly um, yeah that's cool so yeah it, it's really great that with one character they're letting you kind of explore the aspect of this system that means like oh it's really kind of up to me how i want to build these characters and you can get really wacky with it or you can sort of follow the the path that's been laid down before you um i mostly for this playthrough and for i mean every time i played final fantasy 10 i let all the characters stay in their corner and learn their paths um but as you go you kind of get to toss in little extra things um one of the most uh, important spells in any game of final fantasy uh, is a spell called ultima ultima is a late game black magic spell that allows you to do lots and lots of non-elemental damage normally uh, towards the entire group of enemies that you're fighting. Um, and uh, the only way to get this spell is to go to where Kimari starts on the Spear Grid. It's not actually close to any character that would make much use of it. And so eventually you have to just kind of get Lulu over there, and then that's how she learns Ultima. Um, there are also ways to allow your characters to teleport on the sphere grid to where one of their friends are to also learn something. Yes, huge. So at the end that. of the game, I actually had Yuna and Lulu both learn Ultima, which feels really cool. You feel smart. You also, though, it also can feel overwhelming because you need to sort of have a plan. If you yes. want to um, capitalize on any of these more interesting outcomes for the sphere grid, you sort of have to like look at the uh, <laughs> look at the map and sort of decide, okay. Uh, how do we, how do we like get to where we want to go in the most efficient path? Which you can do Which now in 2023. In 2001, there was no map. You yeah. you could like kind <laughs> of view out when you went into the spear grid, but it was so just like, it was overwhelming. Like when this game yeah. first came out, that was the sphere grid was way overwhelming. But now it was like, okay, I can just like look up a map and be like, I want to go here. But yeah, so, and so another thing about the spear grid is when you fight monsters, you get points to move around. That's all you get. And but you get items that are actual spheres that you can use for like, I need this power to get strength. I need this magic one to get a magic uh, ability boost. And you use these spheres to move around and, and plug them into place. Um, but you also get spheres that unlock things, which I think is probably my biggest upsetting point. I you do not get enough of these spheres that unlock. There's like level two level one level and the one that um hunter was talking about is like a level four and i think yeah. maybe i only got a handful of those through the whole game right. i did not right. get ultima i did not get ultima in in the game um you know i ended up having to like i i, I would just use stuff other places um uh but it's like yeah so it's like it is that part was a little frustrating going through the game. And you don't really get right. those unlocks until way later, which is fair. You know, right. that's the of game course. trying to pace it. So you don't unlock stuff too soon. Um, but I, it was like, there was, there's so many paths you could take with such a limited thing. Of course. Yeah. So what, what are your thoughts? I mean, comparing this to any other final fantasy game when it comes sure. to leveling is very strange. I mean, you have some of their, um, I mean, you don't really get, uh, you kind of get their limit breaks in here. Um, and and whatnot, their overdrives. 
Uh, but well, no. So overdrives are just hidden numbers that you don't actually understand. They sort of just give you new overdrives as you play the game. Yeah, you get stuff like armor break and mental break, triple foul, yeah. sleep buster. Yeah. You get like these big like like abilities. I don't want to call them right. magic. Important they're just skills, a, a, yeah. important abilities. Um, but yeah, then and then so it's just it's I don't know if if I if doing it this run I felt confident because I was like I'm just gonna get these guys and I you know for the most part this game I died a hand number a handful of times but I I was able to structure all of it to where I felt like I kind of like walked through this game I was using a guide to make sure I get like the most optimal sure. build I mean how do you feel about this comparing to other games so I would say difficulty wise um, I actually did have some trouble. I would say that Final Fantasy X is a little bit hard. I did not, I did not have a guide, so I definitely missed things um, as I was going through. And I was sort of like building the characters in a way that made sense to me logically. Some of the bosses towards the end of this game, I would say are as challenging as like a bonus boss would be for like a normal Final Fantasy game. Most Final Fantasy mm. games, I would I'd describe the difficulty like this. If you just sort of get how the systems work, you it will never challenge you whatsoever, and you'll just kind of walk to the end. But they generally include hidden bosses or bonus bosses, and those are like really where the test is, right? And I think that this is an example of a game that like kind of brings the difficulty more into focus towards the end of the game. Uh, in particular, there are like, I would say, three bosses that can cause a lot of trouble and even the fi the final boss is actually an example of a i would say a good final fantasy 10 or a final fantasy final boss where it actually does feel like a specific challenge yeah. uh, that that has its own vibe that you sort of need to like look at and be like i i need to prepare for this and and make it so that i can neutralize the advantage that the enemy has um and if you're not prepared for it then you kind of have to do a lot of extra work towards the end. It makes it go a lot longer. Yes, it does. It does. Um, it, it is kind of a bummer to reach a boss and realize that the strategy that it uses means you need to go back and do this thing that you should have, that you could have done easily hours ago, but now is a little bit of a challenge because you have to go like find it or whatever. But I would say like, yeah, I, I find this one to be a little bit on the harder side for Final Fantasy games. I think the sphere grid is a really cool idea. I think, though, that Square has now executed this idea a little bit better in other uh, Final Fantasy games. Like, like the sphere grid was a nice starting place, but not the end-all, be-all spot. Um, and it's not as weird as some of, um, you know, some of the stuff they had done previously. A lot of times you don't even get... Um, to have this much of a say in how your characters advance but you know then we go to something like final fantasy 8 where it's almost like they're giving you the programming language to just like completely rewrite the game in your own image and break it wide open <laughs> perfect and just system. annihilate it well i don't know if it's perfect it's, <laughs> I, I think it's i think it's a little bit ill-advised but i love it for being so weird oh, this is definitively so less weird than that but still invites a little bit of metagame strategy which i think yeah. is quite fun yeah and this one i was able to get like most my characters especially rn to be hitting in the seven thousand, eight thousand all the time like right and and you know which is crazy like and think about other games where you're like wow that's like that's not until way late in the game but you can pretty early if you move around in a very particular way and like 
you know, I did some grinding, of course, for like movements and for spheres. I had so many spheres at the end of this game um, that like it does help um, you kind of do that. So if you go into it, dear listeners, if you're playing this game, definitely do some research, find a path, find find some, um, uh, you know, like, how do I want these characters to build? You know, maybe not do an optimization like I did, because it, it kind of it. I would say it took the kind of fun out of it a little bit, but yeah. I also just. You know, I needed to complete this game and beat it. Um, and I was definitely trying to be like, I want to I want to live in the story more than I want to play this little sphere game. Yeah, um, I will say, you know, a lot of a lot of Final Fantasy games are mechanically like it's more about being interested by the systems and less about being pushed by the gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say if you want to be pushed, uh, you can, can turn it. Final Fantasy 10 into one that that pushes back um, pretty well. And now, I will say, and this is kind of relates to an overall philosophy thing with my overall vibe of this game, is the battle system and a lot of the things in Final Fantasy X to me are, they're going for refinement. And I find that Final Fantasy is not necessarily the series I go to for refinement. You know, it's not something that traditionally has been like a big value for the series. Uh, I feel like Final Fantasy X, story-wise, and with the the graphics and the the environments and the settings and the battle system and the characters, it they're they're going for something that like, okay, instead of like stretching out on this wild swing and not quite executing it perfectly, what if we did execute it like in a way that is like, oh, this is like very well done, and I see how this all makes sense and how this all works. And I'm not sure that's my favorite type of thing for Final Fantasy to do. So while I agree with everything we've said about the battle system, in that it is like kind of the perfect one, it's the one where they looked at what they've been doing for so long, and they're like, how do we execute this way, this in a way that that feels really good for the player, and it feels fair and interesting strategically? I just think i prefer it when the battle system is wonky and strange um and i'm not sure i think that the the series that i look to for a battle system that is refined that is perfected is kind of dragon quest i feel like is more my vibe in that um so while i respect final fantasy 10 for being the perfect one as far as the turn-based combat goes i felt by the end of the game that I was a little bit tired of it mechanically. Um, yeah. Especially once once it got... Um, I, I especially struggled with the final boss this time. I normally struggle with a boss uh, who is notorious called Unalesca, mm. um, but I felt like I remembered enough about that encounter to get through it with minimal pain. The final boss this time took me a lot a lot of tries and starting over on a final fantasy boss over and over doesn't feel good because you got to watch a cut scene you you, you're not skipping a cut scene you got to watch that thing in its entirety over and over to start the final boss fight and it sucks all of the drama out of that scene as well um so the fact that the final boss was challenging enough to where i had to replay it several times kind of made me question like why Why does the battle system even need to be good? I don't even think the battle system needs to be good in a Final Fantasy game. I think it just needs to be interesting and that that's enough, basically. Does this at all get in touch to Hunter's frustration rankings at all? No, it's not. It's not that not, frustration? 
it's not that frustrating. Um, it, it doesn't go to a level where I, where I start getting angry. It just feels a little ill-considered, mm. uh, the idea that the game would put a Final Fantasy player in a situation where it's going to make them replay a cutscene over and over. And I realize there's probably examples of this throughout the entire series. Oh, this is sure. just one in particular that I ran into that kind of got to me. I don't feel like Final, Final Fantasy X, a lot of the Final Fantasy games, if you're paying attention, they teach you to break them. Um, and make it so that they uh, no longer have any challenges. But Final Fantasy X doesn't quite do that. And I think the reason why is because a lot of the game-breaking abilities that you can, that you, can you know, assemble are tied very closely to the mini-game design in this game. In that there are a lot of mini-games, and I don't think I like any of them. Even yeah. a little... I like the idea of Blitzball... Blitzball is the, of course, the, the dodgeball soccer that you play in a sphere grid, uh, or in a in a uh, water sphere. sphere of pure water. Yeah, yeah which you can just sphere. breathe in. Um, yeah, it's the so characters weird. can just breathe in it. It's like they don't even need to explain it. Um, that's almost good, but not actually very fun whatsoever. It's the um, only one that it, I bothered doing, and it was just because yeah. as a child I didn't win the first in Luca. It's a tournament. Um, yeah. The, uh, Besaid, uh the Luca goers and the Besaid Aurochs end yes. up in the final, and I I just never won it. Uh, but this time yeah. I replayed that several times to make sure that I nice. beat it. Um, you get some sort of reward for it, you know. It, and in real in reality, the reward isn't like long term paying off, like to be like, oh, this this is great for the rest of the game, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit of a reward, and it's also just you know me giving a high five to young me from 2001 be like i did it we did it together yeah. we figured nice. this out nice. yeah like so we, we we talked about this before the stream and i did not do i just went straight through the game i did all the main stuff i didn't do any of the optional bosses any mm -hmm. of the really mini games or anything so tell me what what were the mini games that you played and 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 kind of give me maybe top three top four favorite ones or or, or not favorite not i'm sorry not yeah. favorite but yeah let's let's walk through it let's walk through this the the story of these games so um well a really notorious one definitely the worst one ever um when you go through the thunder plains which is a uh a, a plane where it's always a thunderstorm and there's always lightning uh, and there are these lightning rods that are assembled to try and attract lightning that if you stand near the lightning rod, you won't get struck by lightning. Um, however, you can also just wait for the screen to flash white. And then if you press the action button at that moment in that timing, you will dodge a lightning bolt. Well, this doesn't even quite register as a mini game to people. But in order to acquire one of these sort of legendary game breaking weapons, uh, you have to do that like 200 times in a row without missing one. And I hate it. I think it's one of the worst minigames ever designed for a Final Fantasy game. Uh, it's not like the rhythm of the lightning strike is the same every time. And even if you were good at this, it is unbelievably boring and yeah. very, I would say, pointless uh, to engage and, with. And what was the reward? The reward is, I think it's Lulu's... Uh, mega weapon, which you probably need because Lulu is one of your best damage dealers in the game. Um, and when you acquire a uh, 
a, a one of these legendary weapons, you get to load them up with very, very good abilities that require like a lot of different item collection stuff that is pretty esoteric. It's like they went pretty hardcore on the late game aspect of this game in order to give you lots of things to do at the end. I just feel like they didn't come up with a lot of good ones. And they only pop they only pop up once Riku um, shows up. And that's really when you start doing this because she allows you to disassemble other weapons and then right. add those pieces and make weapons and, you know, add them to what your current scope is, um, which right. is which, in you know, in theory was a lot of it was cool. Cool I'd, idea. But I didn't do it as much. I didn't feel the need yeah. to, to do it as much because it is really just. Yeah, it's esoteric in the sense that, like, why do why put this in here if it only is going to pay off, and I am only able to really get into it way late in the game. Um, right. Also, we should also say that Lulu's weapon is a doll. She is this full grown woman that holds these dolls around, and that's yeah. what she uses as right. her her casting focus um, <laughs> to cast these spells. Which I don't know why. Yes, uh, it's very goofy. Um, one of the other mini games is uh, whenever you get to the Calm Lands uh, and you gain use of a chocobo, you get to do a, a mini game where you are moving a chocobo around uh, and dodging like these balls and, and birds. They're throwing birds at you um, in order to reach the end of like a finish line. And then you can do like a race mini game where you're like popping balloons. And it's all just all of it is very ill considered and um, probably too difficult for what it is that was actually the only one that i completed what was your reward uh you get so <laughs> here it, this this will this i think will make my point better than anything i could describe <laughs> to you each um ultimate weapon that each character uh gets it has two parts you get the actual weapon but then you also have to get a crest that you then use to like make the weapon usable uh because it's basically useless without the crest so we have what? How many characters? We have like seven. Seven, seven characters? Yeah. Um, so that's seven weapons and seven crests. That's 14 things we need to collect in order to just begin customizing these weapons in a way that will make them very, very good and game-breaking. Uh, there's also a lot of uh, bonus summons that you can get for Yuna that require a lot of like high-level uh, dungeon exploring and stuff. That I did not really bother with. Uh, again, these are things that would basically break the difficulty. But I just think there's a lot of it. And you have to invest a lot of time into the game in order to, like, unlock this level of it. And that's okay. If, if they've decided, like, oh, with Final Fantasy, we don't really want... I know Final Fantasy XII also has, like, very difficult challenges in order to unlock, like, the big game-breaking spells and stuff. But those challenges are more interesting yeah um not to kind of spoil that for a future um episode but they are difficult but they're a thing to do that feels a little more considered whereas like final fantasy 10 over here is literally being like i don't know press x 200 times in a row and i guess don't do anything else like it's, it's just very lazy yeah lazy and, and it's like it's because you know the way i played it just straight through play the plot play the game go to the end it it like I felt you know I had a lot of emotion, a lot of stakes in this game. I wanted to finish it. I I felt compassionate about it, and I feel like and and Hunter mentioned because I think we both had not finished the game yet, or maybe I was really close. Um, and you were like, I'm going to do some of these side stories, and I was like, Well, I'm not even going to bother with that. 
Because at this point in the game, if I derail from this, I think it's just going to ruin the plot. And they, they kind of, they just take it, It they sound like, well, maybe not the mini game where you're dodging lightning because you have to get through this thing to do it. But it does like derail the story to a point where it's like, it, it doesn't flow in. It's not like Ultima Weapon in Final Fantasy VII where like, it is part of right. the story. It, it has like, a you know, Ultima Weapon attacks a city at one point and you, you like this right. huge gun on a beach shoots at it and all this stuff. They play into it. Um and this doesn't this doesn't really doesn't do that. Yeah. Also, was this the first Final Fantasy up to this point that didn't have an Ultima weapon? Oh yeah, I guess you're right. It it, it doesn't actually have one. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's just a bit of like Final Fantasy series uh, likes to repeat uh, various weapons in in different forms. You do have, I think, um, the uh, the weapon that Sephiroth wields. Uh, I forget what it's called, Mass Immune or mm-hmm. something like that. Mass Immune. I don't I don't I don't know how to pronounce it. That weapon is represented, but yeah, there there's not a whole lot of series mainstays in this one. I feel like they kind of let that go a little bit. I don't know. I'm I'm getting to the point now where. And it's time i think we just need to admit to each other like each other like exactly how we feel about this game yes like we've we've summarized the entire thing i just want to know what does this add up to for you exactly and how good is it yeah we talked um beforehand like because we through the whole time playing it we refused to tell each other how we really felt about it yeah we would be like oh i'm doing this i'm doing that but we we would stop short of like uh you know i'm gonna i'm gonna say this um this is still one of my favorite Final Fantasy stories. Um, and yeah. and with that, a little bit of the game too, because this is a game that I, I you know, like I love Final Fantasy IX because of how many party members you can have, right? Big right. deal for me. Um, but would Final Fantasy IX be even cooler if I could just in the fly while playing swap those characters out? But does uh, what you said to this point where it does Final Fantasy X where it's like, okay, I have to get Waka out here. I have to get Lulu out here. You, and it, because right. each monster is like, hey, I am a, I need to be killed by X. You can kill yeah. me through other means. It's just going to be a slog. Yeah, it's just going to take longer. Yeah. And, and so I do, I, I, I'm very sad that I don't think we'll ever get this system again. And it does bum me out because I, you know, these Final Fantasy 12, we can have a discussion on that. Final Fantasy 15 and potentially Final Fantasy 16. It feels to me like they're getting, I'm getting less friends. Even though Final Fantasy 15 is all about buds, um, but you get less friends in that game. And then Final Fantasy 16, from what I've seen, you have no buds. Yeah, single player experience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and it's yeah. like, oh, no it's it's Kingdom Hearts kind of feeling. Which and in, the, yeah. in that that had like some buds, but anyways. I it makes me sad because I feel like this was the last great in my mind Final Fantasy game. This was the last one that's like, hey, this is the end of an era, even though it's supposed to be the beginning of an era. It's like all you know, right. ends have beginnings and beginnings have ends. And Final Fantasy X lives in that space because it tells an amazing emotional story. There's a scene at the very end of the game. Yuna's trying to Yuna's. Ha- it, it, I can't spoil it, but. Um, she falls down uh, and she's just laying there. She's looking at the, the camera and, and she's, you can yeah. see she's just exasperated from what she just, what happened to her. And I would, my heart broke. I was like, I was trying yeah. to imagine that in my own life with someone that I love. And I was like, that would be the worst feeling in the world. And I was like, wow, this game really like <laughs> brought a lot of emotion out of the bag. And so with right. that, I think this is this to me is one of my 
all-time favorite Final Fantasy games in the sense that the, and and you know I'm I'm plagued by daddy issues and this game has daddy issues all through it it's true. and so like I, it, I, it touches I touch and especially during this time you know personal stuff um you know like in 2001 I had a lot of family stuff start happening in my life and this mm-hmm. game was you know especially with the daddy issues kept yeah. kept kind of it was like oh wow like I'm going to carry you kind of through this so it has a lot of emotional ties to it um in my personal rankings of final fantasy games you know i probably you know it's probably close it's kind of like titus this game is a lot like titus he's it's not solid top five but it's mm-hmm. it's so close you know i could i could make so many arguments yeah. of how to get it to there you know i definitely can't put it in top three by any means but it could fight for that fifth wow. fourth seed all the time it, it could mess around in there yeah. six five four you know it's it's just right there um because a lot of things we talked about you know that i wish they would have just made another game similar you know because they refined the sphere grid keep the turn-based combat keep where you have all these party members um we didn't even talk about the wado uh, you know like like oh, like they could have like i would have loved you know there's a tin two there's a follow-up this so you can still live in this yeah. world it's yeah. a very different game um very different in how it like you, you only yeah. have three members of your party that entire game right um but they but they can literally play like every final fantasy class of like, all ever time conceived. yeah it's it's very, it's very similar to like final fantasy one or two which was the one where you could like switch your classes out um yeah, yeah. or your jobs maybe those final fantasy three or it's almost like it's almost like tactics yeah where, um it's just like instead of imagine instead of having all these different characters with every job available you just have three characters and they can do any job and you're constantly working to unlock new jobs which is great yeah very cool system very cool system but um yeah so i i have a lot so now i've i've confessed which i think hunters are yeah. known i think he knew that these were kind of my feelings going to this now the big thing that i need to know that i want to unwrap with the listeners i'm going to open up my present what does hunter okay. think because, because, and I will say this: there's. I think Final Fantasy X. Again, when I say last great Final Fantasy game, I think it pulls a lot from every previous game that you and I both love. There's a lot yeah. of characters, a lot of mechanics that pull from eight, from nine, from seven, yeah. from six. That like directly, it's almost as if this game was like a huge callback. Um, but what does that callback mean to Hunter? That's what I want to know. I think Final Fantasy X is a great. Final Fantasy game. I think it's very well made. Um, I think it might be the most well made of the classic Final Fantasy games. I think there was more care and thought put into the execution of this game than there was Final Fantasy 8, Final Fantasy 9, Final Fantasy 6. Like, the big ones. I think that this, this game is kind of a smart guy's Final Fantasy, you know? Mm. It's, it is like, it is the closest that the classic Final Fantasies came to some sort of perfect formula that they could have iterated on forever into infinity. But that is not why I like Final Fantasy. And that is why ultimately I think it is a great game, but it is not the Final Fantasy that is for me. When Hironobu Sakaguchi started mm-hmm. the Final Fantasy series, it was supposedly, and this is probably not even true or just made up, but supposedly it was because Squaresoft was going under and they needed to just try something crazy to just swing for the fences. And that's why it's called Final Fantasy, right? Is is their last 
chance, their last ditch effort. And so, because that was their philosophy in that moment, and it was a success, supposedly the, the ethos of the Final Fantasy series is throw everything out and start fresh. Try something new. Take a risk, okay? And I like that. That, is, that really resonates with me. Um, and I know that it means that there have been dark ages to, the, to this series. There have been times where they were not really pleasing folks, or they were giving people things that they did not expect, that they did not want. Final Fantasy XII is like a perfect example of this. Final, Final Fantasy thirteen. These mm. are games that like came out and people were like, this is what you think that we want? And, and I don't love those games either. Like, I also was part of the chorus of people being like, ah, some of these games, you know, they just really, it's like, why can't they just make one that was good like the old ones? Well, that's not, the reason they can't is because that's not the brand. They have to experiment because that is the core value. And I think, while Final Fantasy X is good by, like, anyone's metric, it it doesn't experiment enough. It looks backwards too much for me. It reminds me too much of other Final Fantasy games. Now, it, it's funny that you brought up the thing about there's no Ultima weapon in this one. And there, there, there's a lot of... There's not as much, oh, here's this object that you know from other Final Fantasy games. And I feel like the reason that that isn't true... Uh, that 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 they didn't include all those things is because there were too many references in the story and in the execution already. For them to have the same items would be like one step too far. For all the other Final Fantasy games, the only thing that connects them are the monsters that are getting reused and the items they're getting reused. Besides that, they don't feel as as referential to each other as I think Final Fantasy X does. So ultimately, it's like a moment in time where I feel like Square was behaving the way a normal game studio would behave, which is to take the design that you had last time, iterate on it so that you can execute it at a higher level. And they did it. They accomplished that. But ultimately, I think it makes it like a less interesting version of the game. Um, it's also another love story game which they hadn't really dabbled in too much uh until eight and i'm a big fan of eight mm -hmm. and i feel like squall and renoa that's my final fantasy love story that i like mostly because squall is a weird teen with very strange internal problems uh that probably shouldn't even be in the game final fantasy 10 titus and yuna it's too clean these are two nice people and i like them and they're getting together uh, and it makes sense that they would get together, but in like a Hollywood way. Yeah. In Final Fantasy VIII, I'm like, I don't even know, like with Squall in particular, Squall is such a good example of what I like about Final Fantasy, which is like, he's this character who is the main character and you're getting a look at his inner thoughts and they are so sincerely teen mm -hmm. that it is embarrassing to play the game. You are embarrassed to look at the game and see any of yourself in this guy because it's like too real in this game that also has like gun swords yeah. and where and then by comparison i just find final fantasy 10 it's you know okay I'll, I'll i'll go even deeper with this to me there's only two genres of game oh chess and poker 
That's it. Those are the two major genres of just game. Chess is a game where it's just person be person. Uh, the mechanics are there as rules. There's nothing hidden from you. You know everything you need to know in order to best your opponent. It's just your ability versus their ability. And then there's poker. Poker is a game you play against other people where you don't even know half the things that you should know. The game also plays against you. You have a deck of cards that is randomly doling out your fate. It is cruel, and sometimes it is very kind and sweet. And to me, Final Fantasy X is chess. And to me, that's less interesting. I like living in the weird world of poker, where I don't even understand what the heck is going on half the time. Um, so yeah, that's it. Uh, I don't think Final Fantasy X is a bad game, though, by any means. It's just not... It wouldn't be... I would rather celebrate some of the sick puppies before I would celebrate Final Fantasy X. Like, even twelve to me is more interesting at this point. Um, because, like, I don't like the characters near as much, right? Like, a lot of the characters in twelve leave a lot to be desired. And the battle system is so weird. Mm. Like a single-player MMO where you, like, program the characters to do certain things without your input. That's so, that's so strange. And they don't even really go back to it. They're kind of like, uh, we did that. Let's not talk about it so much ever again. Um, but other games take it and run with it. Because you have, like, sorry to go on a diatribe about that, but, like, yeah, Dragon yeah, Quest Origins. They take it. You right. can program all that. And that game is super fun. I do agree with you. It, it is the safe Final Fantasy. It is the yeah. Hollywood Final Fantasy. It is the Hollywood Final Fantasy. And, you know, I think rightfully so, because it was like, hey, voice acting. Boom. Cinematic yeah. camera. Boom. New technology. Yeah. PlayStation 2. Boom. You know, it, and in a lot of ways, you are 100% correct. It is the safe version. It is it is anybody can play this one and be like, oh, Final Fantasy has like this is a fun. This is, it, it, you know, just like chess. Here's the rules. Here's yeah. how to play a Final Fantasy game. Now, if you want to get weird, here's some other things. And they reference to them. Yeah. So I would say Final Fantasy 10 is a great place to give some people final a Final Fantasy experience. Um, because yeah, like you're I saying, agree. it doesn't have that teen angst that kind of can make people kind of rub be like, ooh, you know, like I'm supposed to be a teenager and I'm mm -hmm. kind of dealing with these kind of things, you know, um, obviously everyone's like, oh, play Final Fantasy 7. And yeah, Final Fantasy 7 is a great place to start people too. But 10 is pretty safe. 10 is is yeah. is a pretty safe um, game. Um, and it's it never worried me. That's the thing about Final Fantasy X is I when I play a Final Fantasy game at some point I want to be worried for it. And yeah, like I think about Final Fantasy VII remake. Oh, that yeah. was a game that worried me at several points. Like, like oh my a gosh. good Final Fantasy game freaks you out a little bit and sort of says, "I might just throw myself in the garbage right now." <laughs> and I, to me, that's what makes Final Fantasy Final Fantasy. Yeah, I never was afraid that Ten was going to throw itself in the garbage. You know, you know and I wanted it to. It's interesting. You talked a, a couple of episodes back about Matt wanting uh, to play more um, like uh, visual novels. I think this is yeah. like the visual novel of Final Fantasy games. Oh, yes. And, and so yes. that's what makes it so like um, you can grab a, a thing of popcorn and, and gobble up this game. You know, I think that's what made, yeah. I mean, I proved it. I beat it in 28 hours. You know, that was my runtime. Wow. Yeah. I that's just a nice. I just charged. Time. I just charged right through this thing. 
you know, and, and so it's like, okay, well, 20 out and, and some change, you know, it's probably whatever. Sure, sure. Um, but, but yeah, you know, I charged right through it and it was delectable. It was very tasty. Um, but yeah, to exactly your point, you know, after listening to you talk, you know, especially after I was just like, you know, romance, like threw up o- all over it. But and then <laughs> I was like, oh, those are fair criticisms. I think I think what's so perfect about both of our point of views on this is that it's the same coin. It's either side yeah. of the same coin. And that coin yeah. is Final Fantasy 10. And it has Jack's weird symbol all over it. Um, also, you know, when we talked about like the the romancing with Squall and Renoa, um, I think this, and this was something that I talked to my partner Megan after it happened. I was like, I think I just, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but I think this was the first like love scene. And when I say love scene, it's like, you know, sex scene of a Final Fantasy mm-hmm. game. There's a scene where you and Yuna, Titus and Yuna, are like in this water thing, kind of hanging out. And then you yeah. start like you yeah. hug and it's a beautiful, I mean, the, it goes, to, you know, the full, because the game isn't. Isn't the engine isn't the same as the movie scenes, very similar to other Final Fantasy right. games. But then you start spinning around and floating in this ethereal like space. And I was like, you know, thinking about it now as in my 30s, being like, this is a sex scene. Uh, like a very appropriate, like, you know, yeah. it, it's family appropriate. Family appropriate. Because afterwards yeah. they're like laying on the beach, they're holding hands, they're yeah. very much more yeah. intimate with each other afterwards. Um, and like hugging and hold, they hold hands, they come back holding hands yeah. and you're like, wow, I did not realize that at the time, but it was very Hollywood in the way that it did it. You know, yeah. you could, this would be rated PG 13, you right. know, and, and that's okay. And I think that's what, so, you know, it's funny now is like, I hope when Matt is editing this, thank you, Matt. I, I hope that Matt wants to play this game kind of, you know? Yeah. I actually think that maybe this is, well, I don't know. It's hard to say what Matt's view of, like, what Matt's best entry point would be. He'll hate Waka. He'll hate Waka, but, I mean, he might actually. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am worried that the voice, so, I, well, real quick, I want to say something about the kiss scene. The kiss scene is uh, magnificent. Um, if you were there at the time, I don't know how it feels now, um, but internally at Square, uh, they basically had, like, a separate animation team that was like a third party that they had hired to do the to do just that kiss i did sequence. not know that um because they were so terrified that the kiss would not look good and they were like we want a good looking cg kiss of two characters kissing each other um and so yeah there were people that only worked on that for a very long time in order to make that sequence look as good as it does and i think it does look magnificent yeah um, especially for the time. Keep the time in mind, everybody. Yes, keep the time. This is 2001 we're talking about. Yeah, if you just want to check out that scene, feel free to check it out. Um, as far as Matt, though, what Matt would like, what Matt wouldn't like, the thing that gets on people's nerves about this game is the quality of the voice acting, which to me doesn't really bother me at all. There is that Not one scene in particular that's like taken out of context of like Titus and, and Yuna like having like a fake laugh that yeah. people put up as like being cringy. I don't know. Get it's over it. It's not that it. bad. It, it's not that it's, bad. Get over it. This is PlayStation 2 era, and we're doing a full voice cast for our deep story game. Like, I, I don't know what you're expecting, but your expectations are wrong. If you if you are coming at Final Fantasy X being like, this is not executed well enough. This is cringe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I'll like, give it to you. Yes, yeah, some of the mouths definitely don't look like they're saying the words. Oh, no. But it's not even close who cares? as far as the lip syncing. That's and and that might bother people. And actually, I understand, but that's just a limitation. Like they're, yeah. they're they had no way around that at this time. 
Um, and I would say for what it is, for what Final Fantasy X is, it basically has no competitor that lived in the same moment as it that executes this type of thing uh, on, a, on a higher level. This was basically the best ex execution we'd ever seen of this type of thing. Uh, and I think it stood for a while. I don't even think Final Fantasy XII actually outdid it. Yeah. Um, as far as what Matt would like, I don't know. I think we've still yet to determine what Matt likes about uh, Japanese role-playing games, but I'm hoping we find out someday. Um, well, we suggested but, Final Fantasy IX to him because there's a character that kind of is Kirby-esque. So, yeah, you know, and he, we still haven't, we still haven't got the final, final answer on that one. But um, Hunter, I think you're about to do my favorite part of the show. Let's do the ranking. Let's start with the 2001 ranking. Um, which we we normally have the way we've been doing that is we put the new game at the top. We've been mm -hmm. kind of leaving that alone though, um, because I think we're 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 closing in here. It's it's almost over this season, and it's time for us to start talking about like what is the philosophy that we want the the final ranking of two thousand one games to be, and I think maybe what we should go for is something that has to do with how impressive this is in 2001 as mm. far as like taking its the time into consideration how good do you feel like this game is for a 2001 game not 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 the master list is for the all-time consideration this if it's just 2001 you're thinking about how impressive is this game i would say final fantasy 10 is very impressive for a 2001 effort. I think it's very impressive for 2001. Um, extremely so. Because, I mean, looking at the 2001 the Game Odyssey list and then just thinking about 2001, the only game I think that is more impressive on this list is Metal Gear Solid 2. Yeah. And I, because and that one beats it in voice acting. You know, mechanics, yeah. mechanically, it is. it was a revelation. Some of the mechanics they put in it. Um, and story-wise, I thought it told a, a really interesting, more weird story, but still the same. Um, so to me, like, I mean, I may have already shot my shot on that one, but I mean, Final Fantasy X is for 2001. It was it was breathtaking. It was like as a right. child, I was like, wow, this is the future of games. Everyone's going to have a voice. You know, the games right. are going to be this an actual like a crazy emotional driven story. Um, yes, it's yes. gonna affect my real life. It's gonna like actually talk to me about what I'm doing in my everyday life, and I'll be able to reflect on it like a good book. Yeah, I think that I think that Final Fantasy X is definitely the most heartfelt story you could get from these 2001 games, and also executed uh, at such a high level. I feel like its only rival really is Silent Hill 2. Silent Hill 2 is also a very emotional story. Um, yep. And it uses the the format of video games to sort of deliver us into like a, an interactive medium uh, for for storytelling, and it's very suggestive with with its themes in a way that I like. But Final Fantasy X is like here's like a, a whole book worth of characters, a whole like season of television worth of story, where Silent Hill Two is very focus and almost feels like a an interesting independent film as far as narrative is concerned metal gear solid 2 i feel like does kind of breach those two of being here's a very complicated story with lots of characters lots of themes lots of ideas but also like the bravery of being a fully independent work that kind of stands alone in its values and i love that aspect of it i think where we're at here is that 
Final Fantasy X needs to be somewhere between Metal Gear Solid 2 and Silent Hill 2 on the list, which would put it in the uh, top top six. Uh, so I'll read those top six for you right now. Currently, our 2001 A Game Odyssey list reads like this. Metal Gear Solid 2, number one. Number two, Pikmin. Number three, Grand Theft Auto 3. Number four, Super Smash Brothers Melee. Number five, Sonic Adventure 2. And number six, Silent Hill 2. I think Silent Hill 2 will probably move up in the final rankings. We're just kind yeah, of experimenting. I'm surprised it's that low, personally. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I might be wrong about what logic we used last week, but let's just rank it amongst these six. You were saying that it should go right under Metal Gear Solid 2. Yeah, that's how um, I feel. Right And right above Pikmin. Yeah. I think that the only argument I would make here is that Pikmin feels like a game that was bringing something completely new to 2001. Mm -hmm. And its originality feels so of that moment. And also, it's kind of cast a shadow now. Now, we've, we literally have Pikmin 4 coming out this year, kind of connecting us back to some game design that we first got to experience in 2001. Whereas Final Fantasy X feels like a summation of the 90s square. Uh, yeah. values exactly to my point right where like it's calling back to a lot of things it did some iterative things for a final fantasy series but it didn't like break the mold it, it, yeah. it again to your point what the piece that you didn't like about it, it did a lot of callbacks and to me i did like about it, it did call back a lot so i could see that where like pikmin is more game wise more yeah. dynamic it like there was nothing like pikmin before and i really sense yeah i agree it's it, it definitely did not create a genre they both kind of capped uh something a little bit in that way i feel like final fantasy 10 is like the the last of the classic final fantasies to to use you know this type of battle system i mean yeah there's no way they're ever going back to turn based for <laughs> so a mainline entry should. ever again they should i mean why not it would be at this point it would be really surprising you know and all, honestly maybe even brave and bold in its own way to just be like we went back to the beginning but again it's like it's not not a very final fantasy thing to do i feel like to go backwards no it isn't it isn't i am down to like i think i think for the 2001 list at this point we're kind of in the end game here mm -hmm. and i think because you're here with me right now i want to give you final fantasy 10 being number two above pikmin um, and then we will see how it ends up. I would like to, um, so we, we have a history of, I mean, since I've been on here and um, finding ways to dunk on Grand Theft Auto 3. It's in yeah. that three spot, and obviously this would push Pikmin down to three. I say I would like to just have Final Fantasy come in. I would like Waka to come in with his ball and just dunk Grand Theft Auto 3 right in the face, and I think Final okay. Fantasy 10 could be a solid number three. Because I think you're okay. right on a lot of the things about Pikmin. It is like it is just game wise. I mean, I want to take my feelings of the story of Final Fantasy X away right, and think of right. it as a game. Pikmin is. I mean, I want to play Pikmin Four. You know, ever since watching you mm -hmm. play Pikmin, I was like, I want to play this game. I always wanted to play Pikmin. Was a game I wanted a GameCube. Never got it when I was a kid when it first came out. I always because of Pikmin, I wanted to play this little space boy and his little grassy friends. And so I think I would like to throw the blitz ball at grand theft yeah, auto 3 right in the face and then slide final fantasy 10 in there okay final fantasy 10 goes above grand theft auto 3 as the new third game of the 2001 a game odyssey list a a segment we still don't really quite understand what we're doing with um but for now i would like for matt to throw on 
the uh, the the new metal music from Final Fantasy X. I hope it's playing right now. Right now. Because now it is time to put Final <laughs> Fantasy X in its <laughs> ultimate place on the master list. The old gamers almanac ranking. Here we go. Um okay. What do we tough. do? Um, this is tough. Where do, where do we where, put it? Where do we put it on this? Um, it's it's I know, hard. Look, I have a tens place selected. If you want me to throw that out there, um, unless you want to get your opinion out before you hear where I'm coming at, I I, I want to let you choose as the guest. I always I always like to get my opinion out before I hear yours because yours is usually always right, and I like to what? have mine out there and then be able to critique it as I hear you talk. Um, so looking at it, we're, we're, we have Metal Gear Solid Two at nine. We have yes. Final Fantasy Seven at twenty four. Um, too bad we yeah. don't have Final Fantasy VIII on this list to like really know where exactly where it needs to be under. Um, it this is so tough for me because you know there you're I'm, in my opinion the top thirty games on this list are like bangers are yeah. absolute bangers. Right. It is so hard for me to. I mean, I would uh, emotionally right. I could talk about emotions all day and try to get it somewhere in there, um, but I don't know how to like justify that but see then i see then i get to like 33 and i'm like i like it more than soul caliber but pikmin is right there under 34 yeah um so this is this is tough i think my first breath i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna do something a little different i'm gonna give you a 20s range (laughs) from 20 to 40 i think i i would I could slide this in. I okay. don't know where. So what were your tens that you were thinking? So I was looking at the 30s. At the 30s. It's funny the area that you called out because that is like exactly kind of where I was thinking. I I think we should talk about the 30s. Maybe since since you've gone 20s to 40, let's <laughs> let's talk about the 30s, but let's start maybe like a little bit. Let's not start low. Let's start high. So I'm going like to read. 35? Yeah, I think we start at 35 and work our way up. I'm going to read 25 okay. to 35 so that they kind of know like what range we're talking about. Um, and actually, funny enough, so 24 is Final Fantasy VII. I'll go ahead and let you know that mm-hmm. just for your North Star there, everybody at home. Um, and then 25, we have Bongayo, 26, Centipede, 27, Hitman, 28, Super Monkey Ball, 29, Crusader Kings 3, 30, Skyrim, 31 Stanley Parable Ultra Ultra Deluxe, 32 Portal, 33 Soul Calibur, 34 Pikmin, and 35 Secret of Monkey Island. Um, we'll be starting at number 35, Final Fantasy X versus Secret of Monkey Island. Um, Secret is a funnier game on purpose, mm-hmm. but Final Fantasy X is still pretty funny. I mean, it's it's a pretty goofy game. It is, it is it's pretty goofy. It has that classic, you know, like Final Fantasy goof, you know, that comfortable, safe jokes, you know, sure. not a lot yeah, of yeah. cringe to it. Um, you know, but it's funny. They're both kind of, you know, you know, well, super, they're both about islands. They're both about <laughs> islands. A lot of islands, um, uh, you know, and, and they're both, you know, kind of you, they're stories that you're just doing one mechanic to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one's a, you know, a puzzle game, you know, cl- point and click. And the other one is just an RPG. You use the same mechanics just to kind of take you through the story. I don't think either one are very hard at doing e- either one of those things. Right, right. Um, they're both comfortable games to play through. Um, I just like Final Fantasy X more than Secret of Monkey Island. Right. Even though the remake of Secret of Monkey Island is wonderful. And I actually think the remake of Secret of Monkey Island, they did a better job of remaking that than the Final Fantasy X remake. 
Uh, because ah, Final Fantasy yes. X remake, it was it was like a graphics update, and it looked good. It, they did a really great job, but you know they didn't. It, it didn't like. I don't know. I really loved the idea that Super Monkey Island you could bounce back and forth between the old version, and the new version. Yeah, not that doing that Final Fantasy X would make a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, just in that in that aspect. Um, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's always a fun feature when they let you bounce between the old graphics and the new graphics. Um, I think Secret of Monkey Island is an all timer. Um, it's a real good game. It especially the first half of that game is really really interesting. The second half just feels a little bit less thought out um, mm-hmm. and less compelling. And so for a whole half of the game to be just like not as strong as the beginning, as compared to something like Final Fantasy X, where I feel like the overall experience is pretty consistent. And in fact, maybe more consistent than most Final Fantasy games, because as we were talking about earlier, it doesn't really fall apart in the last act. Most Final, even Final Fantasy games I love, like Final Fantasy IX especially, there's a point in that game where, okay, we're in the late game. Um, I don't know, just go around and collect some stuff and bring it back here, and, and then we'll go to the last dungeon. You know, and it's just kind of like, okay, well, I guess this isn't very character-focused anymore. Final Fantasy X keeps the focus on the characters and the story for the entire running time, um, except for, of course, the part where you have to spend 20 hours doing minigames. But, yeah. you know, that's kind of outside of the bounds of the story of the game anyways. You can avoid those. Yeah, and you don't have to do them. I mean, Sun did it without doing any of them. So there you go. You do not have to. Um, Secret of Monkey Island, yeah, that second half, not as all-timer as the first half. I am very comfortable letting Final Fantasy X go above it. Next up is Final Fantasy X versus Pikmin. Very interesting matchup here. Not a whole lot in common. I guess they're both colorful games. Yeah, they're both, yeah, nice. both colorful. Yeah, Pikmin doesn't really have, like... Uh... I mean, it does have a story, but it's more of a game, right? It's more of it. Matt Matt mentioned, you know, uh, on I forget which episode it was recent, but he mentioned how he used to just play games, games that were like this based around mechanics, and this is how you yeah. play a game. It wasn't about emotional intelligence, like these these games that give you like things to latch onto emotionally. That young yeah. angst that we had, and Pikmin doesn't really have that. Um, and so I think in that, in my personal opinion, there's just so much more of like a range of not mechanical, but also emotional stuff you can take and push through with Final Fantasy X in comparison to Pikmin. Even though we put it underneath in the 2001, I think yeah. that's just a highlighting in 2001, Pikmin was way more interesting as a game that was published than Final Fantasy X. I agree. I think ultimately uh, Final Fantasy X is more memorable to me as an individual game experience than Pikmin is. Pikmin is more like, here's your introduction to a series that might be a new love for you, whereas Final Fantasy X is, you know, a a member of a a crew of uh, people that I've spent my whole life with. I mean, we didn't talk about it a whole lot. We did play some uh, some of the music in this episode, but... Nobuo Uematsu basically loses his mind on this one um, and yeah. kind of just doesn't say no to any idea. He, he literally forms a rock band and plays mm-hmm. all kinds of weird tunes for the Final Fantasy X soundtrack. Um, it's not my favorite soundtrack, but I... It's really good. I like it a lot. And uh, the, a lot of the really, um, like the Tazanarkin theme, for example... Uh, these are like classics of the Final Fantasy music pantheon. Um, and I think I like the soundtrack more in comparison to the rest of the games than I do the game even. Like I, Final Fantasy X 100%. soundtrack is probably in the top three 
for me as a Final Fantasy soundtrack. Yeah, because they do a good job about going and taking these other themes that they played and making them modern for 2001. And yeah, yeah. Yumetsu just freaking loses his mind and does like an amazing job. And I actually have been able to go and see the um, a new world, um, the Final Fantasy like concert where Ooh, they played some of these Final Fantasy ten songs in in person, and it was yeah. amazing. Um, Yumetsu was there. It was really oh, I. It was breathtaking. It was my favorite, my favorite concerts I've ever been to my entire life. Um, it was fantastic. Uh, so yeah, I, I would, I would put it above Pikmin personally. Yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. I think that there are, I think there are definitely Pikmin games that I've yet to play that might tickle my fancy a little more than Final Fantasy X does. But for now, I think it makes sense. Um, next up is number thirty-three, Soul Calibur versus Final Fantasy X. Um, Soul Calibur, a game that is really important to me. Um, uh, from childhood, I love the Dreamcast, as we have like very much documented on the show. Mm -hmm. um, it was the game that I probably played the most and got the most out of my Dreamcast with. Um, spent a lot of time with Soul Calibur. Liked it a lot. I don't know how to parse that with like against my love of Final Fantasy X. I think I ultimately like Soul Calibur more, but this is definitely going to be a point where I am willing to negotiate a little bit. Okay, let's start the negotiations. I will say simply, Soul Calibur has a lot of fun game stuff, but does it have a lot of soul? Uh, <laughs> which one has more soul? Final Fantasy X is literally built around a bunch of souls. Oh, there's a you, lot of souls in Final Fantasy X. And then it, all, the story hmm. has a lot of soul. Ooh. And then in the Final Fantasy universe, it has a lot of soul. So I would oh. say the caliber of the amount of soul that oh Final Fantasy X has is maybe more so than Soul Calibur. You, I, I admit <laughs> defeat. I, I, you, you just, you just activated your trap card, and I, I, I forfeit this match. My, my life, my life points went all the way, ticked down to zero very quickly, and I am banished to the shadow realm. Here's a phoenix down. I'll bring you back. Okay, but yeah, Final Fantasy X better than Soul Calibur. I've never heard a better argument in my life. Next up. Is number 32, Portal versus Final Fantasy X. Completely different game. <laughs> Completely different game. I don't even, say, I was looking at this, I was like, I, this and Stanley Parable, I'm like, I do not even know how to compare these yeah, two games. That's um, pretty to, tough. Uh, they're so different. Um, you know, I think Stanley Parable, what's funny, they're kind of both like, again, like, you do a mechanic and that mechanic tells you a story. You can say that about a lot of games. Um, but you know, I, I'm more interested in hearing your opinion um, is is to you because I've heard some of your comments about Portal and how like I feel yeah. like you've kind of bounced off of it now later, you know, in like your experience. It sounds like you and Matt both kind of like, OK, I played Portal, but it's not like it has it's not like this game that you want to go back and play again. Yeah. You know, like you so, feel like you've gotten all of it out of that you could. Uh, but right. do you, could you see yourself ever going back and playing Final Fantasy X again in the future? No, like, you know, I will 20, say that. Th no. This year, last time playing it? I think this is my last time, my last go around with Final Fantasy X. Um, I, not, again, I, I did not dislike it, but I did feel like, you know, I mean, there's a lot of JRPGs to play that I've not played. Yeah. And I think mm -hmm. in replaying Final Fantasy X, it, it, it just, it came up just shy of that wanting to go back to it thing. Portal also suffers from a lot of creative inflation in that, you know, Portal came out and was kind of this revolution, and then a lot of games played Portal, 
And then I played a lot of those games that had, in fact, played Portal. And mm-hmm. I think I was a little bit let down in revisiting it for the show. I think Matt was maybe a little more let down than me. I don't know if I'm projecting that or if that's actually accurate. We'll let the listener decide. I don't know. I actually ranked Portal and Final Fantasy X very close on my list. So oh. I would say I have pretty similar feelings for both. And in in that they are things I played and were more important to me back in the day than in coming back to them, I I felt like I had a better sense of spiritually maybe what wasn't all there. I do think I like the legacy of Portal a little bit more. Let, Portal again, these are this is similar to our Pikmin conversation. Portal is a game that came out and was like, whoa, we ain't never had something like this before, and then it kind of shoots into the future like a star. Yeah. Final Fantasy X is coming up uh, on uh, as like a capstone to, I would say, the Final Fantasies of the past while being on like new hardware, but the philosophy felt a little pared down and owed more to the past than it did to the future. So in that way, but also like, what do we care about more on the show? Do we care about the future? Or we care about the past. I don't know. I mean, I like the past a lot. Well, yeah, I, I like their shooting star thing because yeah, Portal shot into the future, and I feel like Final Fantasy Ten was the last shooting star for like Final Fantasy. Yeah. Um, and and my and and some of my personal opinions for that style of Final Fantasy. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm a big person who I like Portal Two more than Portal, even though I love the ending of Portal a lot. Yeah, but Portal Two is just so fun. Um. Yeah, this is tough. I mean, really, I just want to try to get it up to one game that I want to talk to Final Fantasy about. But if this is where Final Fantasy ends, wait, wait, what is that game? Just no, reveal to me. The, the game, game is Skyrim. That I want to talk because. Ooh. Okay, let's negotiate. Let's negotiate a little bit here. Because here's the thing, I while I feel like I get a little tough around the Final Fantasy X Portal thing. I have no problem putting Final Fantasy X above Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe because I think Stanley Parable is just a little bit high on this list. Mm. I think Stanley Parable is a very cool experience. You guys got real um, rowdy. Yeah, we, we got really rowdy on the episode that um, we covered it. I want to say sorry again to anyone that listened. Never apologize for that episode. That episode is perfect. <laughs> one of the best podcasting episodes of all time. <laughs> okay, well, I feel like it's just a little high for me. It's not a lot high. It's just a little bit high for me on this list. So I am down to kind of be like, okay, I'm going to forfeit my personal feelings about Portal. We can then sort of skip over Stanley Parable. They're both story games, but, you know, it's like Stanley Parable is this type of game where in comparing it to other games, the premise of the show breaks down a little bit. For yeah, me. it really I don't does. even know how you compare it to other. <laughs> I like, I, I want to pluck it off the list and just set it alone on its own and not really rank it because it doesn't feel like a game in that same way that the rest of these games are games. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Categorical no, I, I, problem. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that a lot. So yeah, if, if let's, let's then skip ahead. Okay. Let's, Let's say the real conversation to be had here, the one that I think will put your heart in conflict with itself, exactly. and that's what I want right now. That's what we're here for this week. Skyrim versus Final Fantasy X, which is better? And I will say this. There's no way it's getting higher than Crusader Kings 3, which is the next game. So this is its final placement. Yeah, We this decide is this here and now, and this is where Final Fantasy X goes. Yeah, because listeners, there's no... I mean, Crusader Kings is... You know, what the hell? Like, there's no way to compare it to that. Super Monkey Ball, again, no comparison. Hitman, Centipede, Bangayo, like, you know, yeah. it ha- and it has to go, in my mind, under Final Fantasy VII because 
I mean, right. Final Fantasy X wouldn't be here without Final Fantasy VII. Um, exactly. So Skyrim versus Final Fantasy X. So, you know, I've spoken, and the Skyrim episode on here was like, I mean, I every time it snows, I want to play that game. You know, yeah, every time yeah. it's at nighttime and it snows, I'm like, oh, I want to fucking play some Skyrim real bad. You know, right, every time right. I go to Rin Fair, I'm like, I want to turn on Skyrim. But, you know, we were talking about the the kind of emotions and romance and stuff. You know, obviously Squall and Renoa were one of my first, like, love stories that I attached to. But uh, Titus, right. uh, Titus and um, Yuna, like, that, the emotions there in the story, you know, like, I'm comparing them just story-wise. Story-wise in Skyrim, there is no emotion that keeps me that wants to play that game. I just want to play it because it's first person. I can hold a shield in one hand, a sword in the other, and attack stuff. Final Fantasy X, you you don't even have a shield. You know, you just have a bunch of <laughs> random weird weapons. And But I, pre-playing this, I asked you earlier, like, oh, do you see yourself playing this? I could see myself playing Final Fantasy X again. Even now, after Aww. beating it, I'm like, man, you know, I could fire this up and, and play it. Even though the mechanics do drag on you a little bit. I, I, I admit that, like, yeah, like, is okay, each, you know, like I said before, each person has a monster they can kill. And so just trying to compare the two, it, that's, when I saw that, I was like, hmm, that's the one. It's like, what do I do emotionally with this? And we know where you stand with Skyrim, um, you know, uh-huh. and, and everything. I'm a hater. And you're, well, not a hater. I mean, you're justified in, 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 in that game. Uh, also, it failed you horribly <laughs> on the PlayStation 3. It, it, yeah, I mean, the whole... The whole Bethesda pantheon has failed me yeah. over and over, um, and you know, in 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 different uh, horrible ways. And that may be where I'm touching in, where Bethesda can fail you. Have yeah. you ever been truly failed by Square Enix in the same way that Bethesda has failed you? Know, you? Okay, I love this. This is a good angle. I think that I was not I did not really have my thoughts together about Square until probably about the time that Final Fantasy 15 came out because if you the story of my relationship with this developer is that we fell in love when I was younger and it was just they could do no wrong and I played everything I played weird stuff I played Threads of Fate that game's not even good played mm-hmm. it loved it I was just all about the brand and then Final Fantasy 12 comes out and I get that game and I'm like so stoked about it and I'm playing it and I'm getting like, I'm, I'm like maybe 10, 20 hours into it. And I just start realizing that I just don't really like it because my idea of what I wanted Final Fantasy to be had like crystallized into something, you know, and that's not their vibe. That's not what they want to do. They want to take risks and do weird stuff. And sometimes they mess up. I mean, like objectively speaking, all the stuff happening around the Final Fantasy 13 era, it feels like there were a lot of mistakes that were made. A lot of effort was spent on things that didn't end up panning out. Uh, and there was a lot of just assets for that game uh, that were just were there and that they didn't even have any idea what to do with. It seems like it was a bit of a disaster. Okay. But the thing that keeps me loving them is the idea that they're just never going to stop doing this. Like... That's that's what's going to help me continue to like their games in the future when I'm in like my 40s and they come out with Final Fantasy 18 or Final Fantasy 20. I don't know how far they'll be, but what the reason I'm going to play that game is because I don't know what they're going to do. Now I might I might love it, I might hate it. But the 
It's the excitement of the experimentation that keeps me going, which is why I'm a little bit afraid that they might get a little too interested in remaking the old stuff. There is that rumor that they're remaking Final Fantasy IX, and I, I don't know why. I don't know why to remake Final yeah. Fantasy IX. I, it's, I mean, I like Final Fantasy IX, so if what you're saying is I'm going to play Final Fantasy IX again, but slightly different, maybe even slightly better, sounds cool. But I kind of just want Square to throw spaghetti at the wall. Um, it, it, it hurt my heart when they really started to do that a lot in the Final Fantasy XII, Final Fantasy Thirteen era. When Final Fantasy Fifteen came out, I started realizing, like, this is actually kind of cool. Like, they're not going to just give me the same thing again. They're going to try and give me something new that excites me. And in, you know, a world where... Uh, superhero movies chase us down and force us to watch and like uh, the never ending like intellectual property recycling game that I feel like never stops I like that they're this brand that's like I don't care um, and yes it means that some sometimes they will break my heart a little bit they will not satisfy me but if you zoom out if we go macro instead of micro they are satisfying me because they are willing to give me something I don't expect. Whereas, I haven't even played all of Bethesda's games, but I feel like I've played all of Bethesda's games. And that's kind of weird. I didn't have to play that much of their overall oeuvre to feel that I get it, that I know what these games are, and that even if they decide they want to embrace a new aesthetic, if they want to do something, you know, if they're like, well, we're going to outer space now, it's hard for me to get excited. Because I just feel like I've already played the game. And maybe I haven't played it as much. Maybe there's, you know, it a, was a smaller bucket before. Now it's going to be, you know, now Todd is being like, there's 10,000 lines of dialogue. Okay. Maybe there's, there's thousands of star systems. Okay. Sounds like there's more. If I'm not surprised by it, it doesn't... Uh, if, if I don't think that they're going to do anything exciting, then it's hard to get excited about anything. Whereas Square is willing to risk it. And I, I like that. And ultimately, I've come to appreciate their weirder experiments more um, over a longer period of time. I definitely went back to Final Fantasy XII when, when they re-released it as a Zodiac Age. I went back to that game, I started playing it, and I was like, yeah, I don't like these characters as much. Who cares? Characters just one aspect of Final Fantasy. You know, I started getting into that battle system in a way that I didn't expect. And I started appreciating the world of that game and the level design and the way that the 3D environments felt like like they had a complexity to them that like Final Fantasy X didn't really share, you know? One long hallway versus like kind of a weird sloppy mess that feels like some kind of MMO world that you're playing by yourself, which is, I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying I'm that. I'm not saying that it's bad. Yeah, it, I'm just saying it's it's a it's a different thing, and it feels a little bolder. As someone who loves Dot Hack, which uh, you know, I don't know when this episode comes out compared to some other ones <laughs> that we do. I mean, it is literally a game where you are playing an MMO by yourself. Yeah. Um. So that doesn't bother me. Um. I hundred. I could not have said it in more in a better way than what you just did. Um. The fact that. I do feel like I've played every Bethesda game. No matter what they do, they yeah. can make me build forts. They can make me fly <laughs> yeah. ships. Yeah. I've played this game. I know exactly. The reason why I'm going to play Elder Scrolls 6 when it comes out when we're 50 is because 
I want to pick up a sword and a shield and just smash stuff in first person. Yep. The reason why I'm going to play Square Enix games for the rest of my life is because exactly that. They take crazy risk that I will either not like at the time or fall in love with at the time, but I could go back to them. I'm I just I've just bought Final Fantasy 13 and I'm going to start playing that game because oh. I'm like, you know what? I want to I want to do this. I want to do this proper. You know, I did it dirty. Dude, 13 is wild. It is a wild game. I, I you know, and I want to do it a proper replay. So the fact that I've played every Bethesda game because I've played one Bethesda game. There's no way I could say the same thing about Final Fantasy. Just yeah. because I played one Final Fantasy doesn't mean I'm no. going to play. Final Fantasy X is so great because, yeah, I feel like I'm touching a little bit of all the games before it that I loved. But all the games after it are crazy different. Yeah. You know, this is this is that last shining star of that type of game. And to me, just for that alone, I will always have more of a fondness for Final Fantasy games than I would ever have for any Elder Scroll games. And when Bethesda does a game bad, it might just not work. Yeah, that's true. You could always play a Final Fantasy game. Yeah. Well, it will it, always work whether or not you like it or not. Make sure you you be a Sony crony on that one. And, uh, and you know, if you're going to play Final Fantasy, get it on the PlayStation. Um, yeah. Because at least, you know, it will it will come out in some sort of functional state. Um, but yeah, I really this is. Ah, this was fun. Um, so let's we got we got real. We got real emotional. Yeah, we we, we did some. You know, usually Matt's on here with therapy stuff, but we got we did some therapy ourselves. <laughs> we did. We, uh, we we helped each other out. I really liked uh, this discussion a lot, son. Um, I really liked that we we have different viewpoints here um, that are like contrary, but like I I like I respect what you think about this game. Like the idea of you 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 just you like that it's looking and capstoning this like brilliant era that. By the way, is like probably the most important era for this company forever. I mean, like mm-hmm. in in the future, Square will probably still be around, but like the PlayStation era, uh, the the PlayStation One era is, I think, where they really kind of reckoned with a lot of stuff. We didn't talk about the movie they were working on because we didn't have time to get into history stuff because we just wanted to open up our hearts to this game. Go rewatch that movie, listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, d- definitely do not. Um, but like Square was in, in a lot of turmoil. They had become this, you know, they had sort of won the lottery. They had gotten their mega millions and they were like, how do we cash in? And they cashed in in some weird ways that just straight up didn't work. Um, and then they survived it because of releases like Final Fantasy X. So Final Fantasy X helped them get to the area they are now. And now I feel like their legacy is secured. We're going to see Square for a while. Uh, you know, periodically they're going to come out and say, hey, we're getting into NFTs, and we can all just ignore that. I mean, maybe not everyone. I don't blame it. you if you can't ignore it. They're, they're always going to do something stupid, but in, uh, I think, that desire for experimentation. Um, I feel like we're of one mind here of saying that Final Fantasy X is number 30, and Skyrim can slot down to 31. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. That's, all right. that's how I feel. So there we go. That is settled. Um, I have one last thing that I want to do uh, that I forgot Ooh. to do earlier, and I'm just going to do it now. I went through... And I want to give a real quick, um, this is maybe something we can do with uh, every game that has anything to do with uh, Tetsuya Nomura. Um, here's my belt count for Final yes. Fantasy X. Uh, this is, this is <laughs> a, good, a good one to go out on. So Riku, five belts. She has five belts. <laughs> she has three uh, on her shirt, and then she has one for each arm, uh, which is strange. Auron, four belts. 
two <laughs> normal belts that are just doing normal stuff, and then one of his sleeves has two belts on the end of the sleeve <laughs> for some reason. Um, Titus has one normal belt. That's that's actually a dramatic level of restraint. He does have suspenders as well, though. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like a belt. <laughs> yeah, it's basically a belt. Yuna, one giant bow across her torso. That is basically a belt. It's basically a giant belt. Lulu has two arm belts and then no less than 50 skirt belts just embedded. She is our belt queen. She is the belt queen, all right? She will get you with her belts. Um, Waka, of course, has one normal belt, but the final character I want to talk about in the belt count is Kimari because I did not really... When I started doing this, I was like, let's look at all the characters and their design. And I was like, well, Lulu is definitely the one to go out on. I mean, she has like 50 belts. And then I started looking closer at Kimari's costume. Just for the record, Kimari is wearing like a full bondage harness. And it's just straight up there. (laughs) And I did not notice. Literally, Kimari is almost wearing only belts. Sexy, (laughs) sexy belts. Um, So there you go. There's your belt count for Final Fantasy X. Uh, son, it was wonderful having you today. This what was a, fantastic. What a beautiful time. Um, I, I hope you enjoyed this extra long episode of Old Gamers Almanac about a game that isn't... I mean, Final Fantasy X is probably not very important to the audience at all, uh, and I do not care, okay? Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> not one bit. <laughs> all right. Well, I love you, buddy. Um, love you. Can't wait to have you again on the show. Um, and yeah. Good luck, everybody. Have a good weekend or whatever. This is the vibe of the... the, Yo, yo, love y'all. I love y'all for listening. Love y'all. Thank you so much. Uh, And bye-bye. Bye-bye. Old Gamers Almanac is produced by Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson with music by Knight Corey. If you liked our little show, consider giving us a five-star rating or heading over to patreon.com slash oldgamersalmanac. Oh,